Hello, everyone. Welcome to a very special edition of Riot Act, the alternative music podcast. We've only gone and gone to the bloody movies this week, haven't we? Ooh, I've got my popcorn. I'm Stephen Hill. He's Renfrey Deadman. Hello, Renfrey. Well, I don't know why you did that. You knew that I was going to bring you in and you took a big, stupid sip of your big, stupid drink. My, my Rubicon guava, uh, if <laughs> yeah. you're listening, Rubicon. Renfrey Love speaking you. in Jamaican patois there. <laughs> Near my Rubicon guava. Me Rubicon guava. Uh, yes, no, that was a foolish time to drink, but I'm thirsty. It was, yeah. What can no, I, no, what can I do? Fair enough, mate. Don't worry about it. Um, this is a special podcast we've been put out, as recently there have been a lot of movie biopics, and as Renfrey, neither you and I really uh, are are versed enough in the world of filmmaking um, to know exactly what it is that makes a good made movie. A few, I don't know, I've made a few private films with... Uh... Oh, it's got really horrible <laughs> straight away. Um, uh, we thought we would bring in someone who is more of an expert in this world uh, and his name's Matt Stocks and he's here. You've set me up to fail from the outset, haven't you? Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Resident expert and now if I sound like I don't know what I'm talking about, they're going to go, what a waste of time. Well, Matt, you um, uh, admitted to us. It's nice to have you back, by the way. It's good to be back. Yeah. We, uh, the yeah. last podcast we did with Matt um, was very, very well received. Lots of people, basically, they wanted you back. And uh, we you wanted thought, the worst. Oh, for fuck's sake. You right. got the worst. The hottest man in the room. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that hard. I mean, um, me and Steve don't identify as men, so there yeah, you it's go. not that hard. So. There was loads of lovely tweets. Thank you. I want to say thank you to everybody yeah, who did nice. send in love and uh, praise. And... Um, I will say, I'm not as old as I came across in the podcast. <laughs> I did have a few people going, have you listened to any music post-2000? And I'm aware, because I, I heard it, I listened to it when it went out, and it sounded great, but I'm aware that I might have come across like a bit <laughs> of an old man saying that I only listened to Bob Dylan and Neil Young. Mm. I'm so. sure there was one point where you said something along the lines of, there's not been a single decent album made since 1996, or something like I that. I probably did that say was... something as ludicrous as that. <laughs> that, that, that might have been me, actually. Uh, well, that could have been you. No, well, to be fair, um, but I have been listening to some new music since then. That's good to reaffirm my love for the modern sounds. I mean, to be fair, in Matt's defence, you were like in terms of listening to new music, you were working with me on Team Rock Radio. So the new music you did here was picked for you by people who shouldn't be allowed near a Spotify account, really. So, so um, I think we have to cut you some slack on, on that one. But you studied film. The last time you were out, you told us you studied film. So that's why we thought you'd be a good person to come on and chat about this as it's your kind of your two primary loves spliced together, right? Yeah, I did. I did English with film. So okay. it was a very much a critical study of cinema. Um, so you're obviously bringing in psychological theories, technical theories, sociological theories. So you look at it as, I guess, you guys probably dissect music. It's not just a, a cinematic experience. It's a statement of art. It's a reflection mm. of the time and place it was either set in or made in. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the films we have to talk about today are really interesting in that regard. Definitely. Definitely. Very much so. So we're going to be chatting about um, four films. One of them, I'm sure you've seen, it's been out a little while, but it feels like a good place to put this. So Bohemian Rhapsody, we'll be talking about. We'll be talking about The Dirt, the Motley Crue biopic. We'll be talking about Lords of Chaos, the story, the infamous story of the infamy of the Norwegian black metal movement in the early 90s. And Very we'll infamous. be talking about Godfathers of Hardcore, the story of Agnostic Front, which is the only one which is a documentary as opposed to a biopic. Because, yeah. Um, I wonder it's, if, it's, is Lords of Chaos a biopic? No. Uh, yeah. Def well, no, yeah, it is. Yeah, mm, no, sorry, it is. It is. Yeah, of course it is. Well, what you're saying is the Dirt, Bohemian Rhapsody and Lords of Chaos are biopics. Yeah. Agnostic Front is a, a documentary. A documentary, yeah. 
Yes. So I put, I mean, it definitely is. It's not. <laughs> yeah, he's introduced the element of doubt there. Yeah, yeah it, it definitely is. It definitely is. It can't be anything else. All right, we'll get into it's it It's based on real life. Yeah. Well, they're all based on real life, but the of thing course, is, well, is you have actors buy... portraying the real people in the other three, whereas that is them. And yes. that's the key. Yeah, okay. I, 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 I feel, I feel like it. it'd be a boring semantic conversation, so I won't bother. But, right, well, but, we are not. Yeah. We, okay. Because well, <laughs> I, I mean, I put out... Um, on Twitter. So I just wanted to sort of point flag that up as I put up on Twitter the other day, what are the best music biopics? And a lot of people went, oh, have you seen the L7 documentary? And I was like, well, that's not a, I didn't come back to any that's, of them. No, yeah, that's but, not a biopic. Yeah. But those are not biopics. Music documentaries, they might be films about music, but they're not biopics, are yep. they? Yeah. So I was going to start by saying, music biopics, what are your opinion on them? And what are your favourites? Ooh, um, I actually really struggle with music being translated to film. Yeah. And I think my theory has always been because, because I'm so deep in the music world. Um, it's kind of like if an astronomer was to watch Gravity, all they'd see other things that aren't write about it i'm it's not comparing that. myself to an astronomer or by if the way. a train conductor watches thomas the tank engine <laughs> <laughs> woefully inaccurate <laughs> um and i sit there and see flaws that most people wouldn't see because mm. i'm so entrenched in it and i find and it it really prevents me from enjoying a lot of music films i remember having a big argument with one of my exes because i didn't like almost famous because it just kept it, it, annoying me the amount of stuff that i was like oh, that's, there's no fucking way that would have happened and all that mm. kind of thing and mm. like almost famous well, is just, actually... just like the dude just walking in backstage <laughs> <laughs> oh, the thing is i love almost famous but the thing is almost famous is the fictionalized account of that's true of yeah. stuff i yeah. mean it's based on it's based know. on cameron crowe's experiences yeah. i like looking back at it i was probably a bit harsh on almost famous i, I still don't love it as a film but so you know. i mean that's quite telling that i said what are your favorite music biopics and you've just gone i hate almost famous oh um yeah that's well, <laughs> okay right so typical wanky answer from renfrey deadman hello mm. that's me uh my favorite music biopic by a million billion miles is amadeus the three-hour biopic on mozart i've never seen amadeus <laughs> it's fucking amazing it's probably i'm I'm aware it's really good it's probably like in my top 10 films of all time i do appreciate that a three-hour biopic on mozart wolfgang amadeus mozart is probably not going to sound mega appealing to a lot of people well if you've seen it the best who's the guy who plays him tom holse he's fantastic i've seen it i love it amazing it's more of an art film i'd say than a biopic obviously it is a biopic but it's for me it's just a beautiful Uh, extravagant art film well this is this is where we get into the biopic. You know, what's a biopic or not? The reason I was before, let's get into this, and if it's boring, I can cut mm-hmm. it. The reason before I um, was like, is it a biopic? Because I consider a biopic, and it might not be accurate, but I consider bi- a biopic to try and encompass the majority of or a large part of a band or a musician's or a person's career and life. Whereas when a film centers on part of their life i'm not sure if that still fits the biopic mold which is kind of what i mean amadeus does go up to his death i suppose it is biopic really Mm. also as well it's like trying to say is this album rock is it metal does it matter does it it matter is it good exactly Mm. um you're right 
that's for me like you know people go is Jaws a horror film it's yeah. like well who cares yeah it's great yeah 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 yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Is, it is irrelevant really yeah. but I think if you you take um, a piece of someone's life and it is meant to be like I always considered biopic to be like a, a kind of a fictionalised retelling of real events of a period of someone or something mm-hmm. yeah regardless of the style of that presentation mm. that's just the story yeah yeah I mean, you know, uh, there are some odds. I mean, if you watch Bronson with Tom Hardy, I think it's a really, really good example of that, yeah. where most of that clearly... It's fantasy. Is, yeah. Is, is, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. totally fantastical, but it is based on a real... You're not meant to watch... I think it's kind of... A lot of the time they work because... A film like that works because it's not trying to be... Yes. A kind of a retelling, a, a kind of precise retelling of events. Well... That is something which I'm sure will come up because I think often when films do try to be a precise retelling of events, I think they often fail. And they're boring. Mm. Yes. My favourite music biopic straight up off the back of that is I'm Not There. And I saw someone tweeted you that Ah. and you went, oh, Matt said that that's good. Well, I've not seen it. It's so good. It is very good. I'm Not There. How are you going to try and put into, and here he goes fucking talking about Bob Dylan again, the old man. But (laughs) how do you go about putting the life of somebody so contradictory and complicated and convoluted and just kind of here, there and everywhere. You get you seven, have to seven take, actors you to play. You get seven him. actors to play. You get a little black kid and you get Kate Blanchett and you get Richard Gere and you get Christian Bale. And that like opening scene is uh, Stuck in the Mobile with the Memphis Blues again. Mm. My favourite Dylan song. And as soon as I heard that song and that opening scene, I was like, I'm going to love this film. And I did. It For me, the definition of a good biopic, be it music or whatever, is basically rather than just trying to accurately depict the series of events you should try and capture the spirit of the subject mm. that for me is when a music biopic is done well is do they capture the the essence of that person or and actually people? i'm not there's a very good example of that because it doesn't really it doesn't try to tell the story of bod dylan it just tries to capture the character and does that through seven different performances. I have to admit, when I heard about I'm Not There and heard about the concept, when you hear, oh, it's seven different actors portraying him, one of them is Kate Blanchett, who's possibly the best uh, depiction of him, to be honest. Uh, one's a small, Oscar nominated. Yeah, she was, she's brilliant in it. One's a small black child. You know, I was when I heard about it, I was like, this sounds wanky beyond belief, but mm. it's uh, that's a fantastic film. I'm mm. Not There. It's really, really good. I really love, um, I mean, I have the similar problems with you. No one asked you, Steve. No, no, I asked and it was for the floor. Uh, I really love, um, I, I, I loved uh, What's Love Got To Do With It, the Tina Turner biopic. Wow, oh, I've still, when, I've not when, seen When it. I was growing up, I've not seen it for a long time. Although I think this will be something that we talk about a lot. The last, very, the end credits of What's Love Got To Do With It, they show Tina Turner performing right. live. Mm. And at that point you go, that's what's been missing from this film is the mm. actual artist. And I think a lot of the times, the reasons a lot of these don't work if you are a massive music fan is that you can watch Bohemian Rhapsody that we'll get to talking about in a moment and go, yeah, great. But you can also watch Queen. These are the days of our lives, a four hour documentary about Queen. Yeah. and Which is phenomenal, by yeah, the way. Which, you know, at that point, um, I mean, I know which one of those two I'd rather watch. Oh, yeah. Um, and yes, and another one straight out of Compton I thought was amazing. Control, the Ian Curtis Control's one. wonderful, but yeah. the best one for me, my well, I say the best one, my personal favourite, and I don't know if this counts as a music biopic because, I mean, it sort of does. 
Uh, 24 hour party people yeah what a fucking dun, 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 dun. that's great and again there's scenes in that where they clearly either yeah. take artistic license or even purely fabricate but again it's in the spirit mm. of that era of that scene of that community and those cast of characters isn't it yeah and they really film. tap into that vibe that obviously the Hacienda and all those bands had mm. and just having that idea of steve coogan breaking the fourth wall and talking directly to you and kind of going like you know basically leading you through the film as well that's amazing it's have you seen cock and ball story yeah when yeah. him and tony are sat in the scene together he's like you yeah. played me once didn't you and it's yeah. like so meta it like takes yeah, yeah, it yeah. another it's level really further. Oh, amazing i want yeah. to like really to good yeah. yeah i wasn't a massive fan of a cock and ball story <clears throat> just as a little aside for you mm. you weren't no i, oh, I love like it. it yeah yeah no, I, I like his work yeah. Is it uh, Michael Winterbottom? Michael Winterbottom, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So obviously they went off and did The Trip, which I think is a far, far superior version of... The what? Trip starts great, but Rob Ryden just grates on me. Really? He comes across as an annoying... Well, he's meant to, isn't he? That's the character of Rob Ryden in that. Or is it just Rob Ryden? Well, they're based... Those two are playing <laughs> heightened um, public of perceptions yeah. of themselves. They are, but for me, Steve Coogan, as the character in The Trip, is far more likeable and endearing. Which is funny because he's not meant to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is, Courtney Love uh, was like, get Steve Coogan out of Hollywood, wasn't she? She was blaming him for uh, Owen Wilson's suicide attempt. Did you know that? No. Because him and Owen Wilson got into like partying together and he, I think, cut his wrist and tried to take his own life. Wow. And Courtney Love was like, it's Steve Coogan's fault. He's come over here. He's fucking like basically disrupting this whole little nice community of Hollywood actors. Yeah, right. Got this, and he apparently turned up at a hotel one night banging on the door trying to get in. I've just got this image in my head of like Partridge raising hell in Hollywood. And yeah. That's well, ridiculous. That's an, uh, I mean, if I was Owen Wilson, I'd try to take my own life. So, you know. Well, it's a nice bit of slander. <laughs> so end, end the opening little intro with a bit of slander and uh, move on to our, our first film, um, which is the now, you know, four Academy Award winning um, Queen, or Freddie Mercury, really. It really is a Freddie pick, Mercury. Bohemian it, Rhapsody. Yeah. Um, Directed, God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're already getting into hot water, aren't we? Directed um, by. Directed by someone, either Dexter Fletcher is what people would want you to think, but really directed with a lot well, of problems behind it by Brian Singer. The film does who say. comes across as th- a bit of a cunt. <laughs> what's, what's he been accused of? Just to kind of um, be, play ignorant for. Raping fool. a young boy. Oh, wow. Um. Making Superman Returns. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Definitely the worst thing he's ever done. Um, Is there much grounds of evidence in these allegations? There have been a few accusations. And also just just to kind of, because I don't really think we need to get too deeply into Brian Singer's conduct away from the film his conduct apparently during the film mm. was incredibly difficult the actors hated him yes uh, rami malik said he was very very difficult to yeah, work yeah rami malik didn't think the film was going to get is he finished. the reason that sasha baron cohen left or was that more to do with the band and differences i think it was opinion more in to portrayal? do with the band and right. yeah and i think probably brian singer was you know not helpful either but yeah sasha baron cohen initially signed on for this how good would it have been to see him as freddie i would have been very i can never quite yeah, get yeah. past that as yeah. great as I mean, he must be kicking himself now. Oh, now no. Rami Malek's got an mm. Oscar. Yeah, mm. he must be fucking kicking himself. Uh, but then I think, you know, would he have done uh, the same? Uh, Rami Malek looks more like Freddie Mercury to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Sasha Brown Cohen's tall, and 
He's, he's a great a, actor, though. He is he's a great never actor. really been given the chance. But have you seen that? Uh, have you seen Hugo? Hugo. I was about to say yeah. he's great. Although it's a great comic Hugo. role, he is fantastic. Yeah, he's in great that. in. It's um, a beautiful film. Well, even Borat and you know Ali G. Although that's more of a reality format. When Sweeney Todd, that's acting, also, isn't it? And, and Sweeney Todd, he's great. As oh well. yeah, he's mm. incredible. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. He's, he's a sinister fe- motherfucker. He really is. Yeah. So, but obviously that didn't get made. But yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody, the the film which is. Been out, let's say, four Academy Awards for sound editing, sound mixing, best actor for Rami Malik, and as pointed out many times on Twitter, hilariously, uh, it won film editing as well. And there's that scene with them in the pub where the manager comes along, where you you basically it's like migraine inducing editing. Uh, so an absurd, absurd decision. But uh, that, anyway, that Live Aid scene, though, I mean, it's probably purely based on that. Right, you would think. Oh, yeah, especially from the sound so. editing point of view, like that as an achievement. And let's go straight in on that before we get into the plot details. Renfrey, you said that the crowd in that was far too fake and CGI looking. For it's you, a, it's a it's a comfort s- small you. point to put, um, put up on, but there was one shot where uh, it, it would it would be a crane shot. It's obviously a digital shot, but you know a crane shot that goes um, through Wembley Stadium effectively. Uh, and I was literally watching it last night, and um, on my on my big forty two incher. <laughs> I'm talking about Mitelli. Um, um, it lo- it just looked, and uh, for a film with that, I assume big budget and bribes, such high stakes. Exactly, you know. Um, I was just surprised at how fake it looked. Um, I think the Live Aid stuff is very well recreated. Yeah, and it is very. Um, well done i did question i mean it's funny because we're starting at the end of the film here in a in a weird way but that's fine that's mm. fine um but i did wonder if live aid was really the event that it should have been building to um live aid what, when was, you when someone says to you queen though what's the first thing nine out of ten times that comes to people's mind it's it is live aid isn't it yeah, I, it, yeah. I for me for me it is bohemian rhapsody the video but but i suppose well, it already there. covered that with the title though mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no i'm not suggesting it should have ended there but like i sort of mentioned or you know pre in, in our little preamble i think when a film tries to cover too much territory it becomes a little bit of a best of their career mm. and my my overriding problem with Bohemian Rhapsody as a whole is it felt like it um, was just trying to get through as many of the uh, the greatest hits of Queen as it possibly could. And I, when I say greatest hits, I mean the greatest hits of their career, career the as opposed yeah. to necessarily their songs. Although obviously sometimes that did involve their songs. Mm. So, for example, you see Roger... Um, uh, Recording the Galileos for Bohemian Rhapsody, you see Deacon, Ba-da-boom. Deacon Ba-da-boom. doing the. Um, no, it's uh, that one is in there though, isn't it? Yeah, it is, is in there. Deacon he just do- they're arguing, he just starts playing it. What's yeah. the disc? Yeah, yeah, they're arguing, he starts playing it. The, um, yeah, another the- one bites the dust. Mm-hmm. And then um, we will rock you. Brian gets one as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it is just a little bit like we need to put these in. And it's like if they didn't though, would you feel shortchanged? Because I feel like choices like that are made for a reason. Is because people want to see, right, they're the staples of that band's career. And if you go to a Queen biopic and you don't see how they made We Will Rock You, 
or Bohemian Rhapsody, I personally, as a fan of that band, would be like, oh, well, I feel shortchanged. It, it depends It depends what you want for the film. I mean, I don't feel shortchanged. People think there's a good way to make a biopic, and they're wrong. <laughs> and, and well, it's I, also the same with documentaries, yeah. and we'll get to that way later on. Yeah, 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 there's yeah. almost like a stock like list of checklists right and you have to tick certain things and it has to be presented in a certain order in a certain way yeah and that's why films like i'm not there are so radical and a breath of fresh air is because they are so different and outside of the box and against the grain of what you usually expect my big problem i have to say going back to the live aid thing my big problem with the live aid footage was very much like what i said with the tina turner thing was where you can go on YouTube and watch Queen at Live Aid. Absolutely. And Shit, I, can you? <laughs> yeah. And I, I, so I saw Bohemian Rhapsody when it came out of the cinema. I saw it on IMAX as well. So those that Live Aid footage hmm. was stirring and it looked amazing. But it reminded me a bit of, I mean, another film which is sort of uh, vaguely biopic, I guess, would be um, the uh, the Disaster Artist, the James Franco, oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Tommy Wiseau, The Room Project. Hmm. Now, hmm. that to me that didn't work as a film because it had, it was almost like watching a super fan doing an impression mm-hmm. of the room. They were recreating scenes from the room in the film. And I was just thinking, well, I can watch the room. Yeah. I don't yeah. need to see this. Like, you know, when, when, when they have a sort of three minute montage of him writing it and it's like, Oh, I've written this film. And you're like, well, is that it? And then you're just going to go, <laughs> and you know that um, the Franco brothers and Seth Rogen and all these other like fucking mates just got together (laughs) and went, oh, look, we get to go. uh, You're tearing me apart, Lisa. You know, that's what they want to do. And I think this film was so like, oh, Queen at Live Aid. Oh my God, Queen at Live Aid. Oh, we're going to make this big thing. And it's like, well, the thing is, is that the footage of that for people who are interested in it is so unbelievably ingrained in every single person watching its yeah, psyche yeah, yeah. that although you watch it and go, yeah, weren't Queen great at Live Aid? You watch that and it's it's never going to be as good as actually watching Queen at Live Aid. So in a lot of ways, you're kind of, you're, you're punching up to something, to a standard that you're, you're never going to reach. Well, we, sh- we should mention that basically for those who don't know, the, the last the film ends 15, with the live aids. Yeah, the last 15 <laughs> to 20 minutes of the film recreates second to second the live aid footage. Mm. And taking your point and basically trying to sum it up, what is the point? Why why do like it, it as a technical exercise they pull it off very very well yeah but why bother like, i think because it's the arc of the story isn't it and that really is the yeah. moment but it's one of those ones where from the character arc and development and journey that freddie's on and the, the four of them are on collectively live aid is i guess the triumphant but everyone knows that return of, of queen you know, films are often made where the end is them going off to that triumph. And because it's such a... I'm trying to think of one now that... I know what you mean, like the driving into the sunset. Driving thing. You don't necessarily yeah, show yeah, the yeah, actual... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't need to see it. And, you know, it was like... Like it should have ended with them walking onto the stage. Yeah. And then you go, shit, now I'm going to go watch oh, Live Aid. I would have loved it if if Freddie had gone to play the first chord of... It was it is Bohemian Rhapsody, yeah. isn't it? And then it just blacked out. Do you know yeah. what I mean? To credits. I would, yeah, I would have loved that, you know. And then they cut to the actual footage as the credits yeah, roll. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would have worked. That would have worked. It would have worked very well. And I, but it just seemed ultimately pointless to me. I mean, I mean, I, I, I do, I do see, I do see the point. It's funny that the, the one scene that everyone's, I guess, celebrating the most. You're like, what's the point? 
I the reason everyone's celebrating it is because everyone loves Queen at Live Aid and you like to look at it and you, it, it looked nice like I mean particularly like what about from a uh, performance point of view oh it's fantastic like but I, I have well, very little bad things to say about the performance just that scene or the film overall. In the movie yeah well, just him in that specific scene yeah brilliant I mean you yeah, know, very good uh, he's like he's great in this film Rami Malek yeah. it's an amazing performance I mean I know I said last week and I kind of stand by it. Having seen, he, he's won an Oscar, and fair play, he's won an Oscar. If you've seen Vice, you know he doesn't deserve that Oscar. Christian Bell should have won the Oscar for Vice. Christian Bell inhabited a man, like totally lived the life of a man over a kind of 25, 30 year period and inhabited that character in just one of the, a phenomenal way. Christian Bale is next level, though. Yeah, he's but you can't king. go. Well, Christian Bale's next level, so we won't give him the Oscar because yeah, he's yeah. so much better yeah, yeah, than yeah. everyone else. I, I guess like, you know, the reason he, didn't, he just... didn't win is because that character that he was playing isn't as familiar to everybody as Freddie. But I think that, and I think the Academy. Mark mi- Kermo did a great show in it. Did you see the kind of yeah, sp- the Oscar special that Secrets he did, of cinema. where he yeah. went? The, these are the kind of roles historically yeah. that win the yeah, Oscars, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it yeah. was just made up to be that, wasn't it? Because yeah. of yeah. all the ingredients at play. But yeah. putting on some fake teeth and mime. <laughs> this is what you said to me. Not yeah. as good as what as you know, unbelievable. The physical that, and psychological physical, depths that he went yeah, to. And, yeah, you know, he's portraying. Um, we get off topic with this though because that's obviously yeah, not yeah of course we but are we're getting off topic but give I'm, Bale the Oscar give Bale the Oscar give Bill Murray back his Oscar <laughs> give Mickey Rourke his Oscar Sean Penn your mate isn't it Sean, Sean Penn, Penn nicking Oscars off the people there's a great story behind that I won't tell it now though because okay. again it's way more off topic um, I'll tell you later but I do think that um, that Rami Malek is great as Freddie he is fantastic and yeah. the guy who plays Brian May yeah. who's the secret yeah. weapon in that film yeah. I thought I he was brilliant I agree I, I don't know brilliant. his name but he was really good yeah Okay. Um, what do you think of the rest of the band out of interest? Well, I think like most of this film, the problem is, is no one really has much to do apart no, from Rami Malek. No, I agree. There's not really, it's not really a character study on anyone other than Rami Malek and possibly, you know, Freddie Mercury's yeah. former wife and, and yeah. that relationship. And she's good as well. Actually, th- actually, those scenes I found were the most successful of the film. The mm. scenes between um, his um, long-term girlfriend. I think they were married. Well, they were married. They, they were, were married. Weren't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so and the, yeah. I mean, that scene where you know she's obviously they've split up and he's come out and he's moving on with his life, but mm. he still doesn't really want to let her go and he's phoning her and he's sort that's of talking beautiful. to her. Yeah. Is that the piano? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heartbreaking, yeah. Isn't it? Like that's a that's a really that's really good. good film, and yeah. that's the first point in the film where I didn't think, well, this just seems like a kind of ITV Sheridan Smith. Yep. Like but that's the thing. If 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 I think a film that concentrated on that relationship, there would have been a lot of Queen fans that'd be like, oh, where's Live Egg? Where's Livid, Live Egg? Yeah. But you and would a lot have of likely... people who would have gone a lot of people who who already did just from a, a, a like one and a half minute, ninety second trailer before it came out when why aren't you concentrating on the fact that he had AIDS and he was gay and it's like mm, why don't you watch mm. the like the hate I mean again we'll get off topic but I just hate people so much <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway go on sorry um, in the film, yeah. but I think I think uh, when, if a film focuses in on something 
and and tries to take sorry Matt's gone so just gone having a moment <laughs> that was said with such conviction <laughs> I think I think when a, when a film you know hones in on a specific thing and goes this is what we want to explore nine times out of ten it's far more successful than mm. just being really really broad mm. and Bohemian Rhapsody to me felt incredibly broad it did yeah with some really weird um uh, comedy in it as well shoehorned in um mike myers playing queens that's the, the, the best guy. scene the best scene is for me it? you told me about that i think before i'd seen yeah, it yeah i is thought it was great just it's... as a film nerd i love when you're like inside a text and it's referencing another text yeah as a geek like that tarantino approach like inner universal referencing I, I love i did love the the meta idea of a character mike myers is playing talking to queen about bohemian rhapsody saying kids in cars will never bang their head. referencing a character that's coming 20 years in the part into, into yeah. the future that he will play and him playing someone from that time telling the band that he's doing that too that no one will ever do that. it's very like i've just made it sound way more complicated than it actually is but like they're basically having the debate aren't they with mike myers who's the record label boss and he wants to go with i'm in love with my car mm. as the single he's like kids will love this they'll be in their car they'll be dancing along roger taylor and they're yeah. like no we need to release bohemian rhapsody as the single and he says bohemian rhapsody will never have kids in their cars banging their heads yeah, and that's Mike fucking Myers saying that. So I from Wayne's World. I feel the exact opposite of you two. I hated Killjoy films because <laughs> yeah, I don't like fun. Apparently, yeah. Yeah. I hate so you don't like people. He doesn't like me. fun. I, I, I hate it when films drag me out of it like that. I, when I yeah, when I true. when I watch a film, mm. I want to be so entrenched in what's going on that I don't feel like I'm watching a film. I feel a f- film, sorry, weird um, pronunciation there. I don't feel like I'm watching a film. I feel like I'm I want to forget that this isn't this That's isn't a fair this comment. Is, isn't reality. And that kind of meta sort of nink, uh, wink wink well oh. Goodness nudge, nudge, me. Wink, wink. nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I'm sorry. It's it's uh, the afternoon. I'm not used to doing this in the afternoon. Thing doesn't work for me because I'm dragged out of it. And actually, films are. I mean, we could probably talk about this a bit more, Matt. But like, films are so full of that sort of stuff at the moment, and it's something that I absolutely hate. Leave me alone and let me enjoy the story, and pretend for two hours that I am not in my sad little I drunken life it was, alcoholic. It wasn't like they <laughs> didn't all stop for a minute. It's like, become a therapy session. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they didn't, it's not, with that line though, there are times where the whole thing stops and it's almost like everyone looks at the camera and goes... Yes, exactly. But, and that's but, what annoyed me. But, I but that line like, wasn't delivered no, like no, that. I and also... I he that is, could have been a line... If you were 16 and you'd never seen Wayne's World, you don't even know who Mike Myers is and didn't know that's well, Mike Well, also, Myers. he's unrecognisable as go, Mike Myers, they, isn't he? Yeah. Like, yeah unless yeah. you see his name in the credits and you're True. looking out for him. Like, yeah. He doesn't look or sound anything like Mike Myers. It's only after That's true. That's I mean, I saw an interview with Mike Myers before I saw the film... So he'd actually, they showed a clip. They showed that clip. I think it was on um, Jimmy Kimmel. And Mike Myers and Jimmy Kimmel went, that's such a brilliant little meta thing. And I went, oh yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. So when I saw it in the film, I knew it was coming and I I, I clocked it. But I, but possibly... They don't I, take a pause, do they? And go, no, I think the I might have line. not clocked it until after the film. You know what? In, in reference to that line, fair enough. But as you said... There are several points during the film where it does feel like the film stops and they all, you know, obviously this is not yeah. literal, but it feels like they turn to the camera and go, eh? 
Yeah. Eh? This is, you know, this is that thing that you recognize, right? You, yeah. You like this. You like this, don't you? And mm. it's like... Well, they do a hell of a lot more of that in the next film. Oh, oh God, yes, they yeah. do. <laughs> so... What else do you want to say in regards to Bohemian Rhapsody? I want to say the worst piece of thing I've ever seen in a film ever. <laughs> the worst piece of thing? Right, now I watch this in the cinema. Ever as well. The, this is of this, all time. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> this was, I, like... The scene where he found out he had AIDS. Now, what we could do, we could sit here and we could go, historical inaccuracies, you know, they have a yeah. degree of cinematic license, artistic license that they are playing with. So, for example, I know for a fact, um, Queen, they begged Queen to go to play Live Aid. Yes, yes. Queen were supposed to be on tour, so they weren't broken up. Yes. They were meant, they were on tour on the day of Live Aid and Bob Geldof, basically bullied them into doing it yes. and queen's manager phoned them up they were announced um without queen's consent and queen's manager phoned up bob Geldof and went what the fuck are you doing announcing my band and the film gives the impression that the live film- aid is like the event that saved queen yeah. because they've and, been and live aid is the event that you know kind of reboosted queen's career it put them back on the map for yeah. sure like yeah. and that's you know no one's denying that but it didn't happen in that way no. i don't have a massive problem with that per se I'm pretty sure he didn't find out he had AIDS the day before Live Aid and then go and meet the guys. From, and there, there's a lot he of like... He was diagnosed with AIDS two years after Live Aid. Right. So he was diagnosed with AIDS two years after Live Aid. Um, there's also... I mean, there's a frankly hysterical um, Channel 5 documentary with lots of re- like kind of re- like uh, reimaginings of stuff that happened in the Queen's career. And there's Queen in there. Do you remember what it's called? It's called... Um, who wants to live forever the freddie mercury story oh, and, that. and it is like it that is there were bits of this where i went fucking hell it's almost as bad as that channel five documentary because um they like, the costumes are appalling it's like i just put a mop that like, turned up i'm playing brian may where's my costume oh we said bring your own costume oh for fuck can i just like <laughs> paint this mop black and put it on my head it's awful right it's really awful but there's a bit where they're like going, Queen were backstage at Live Aid, ready for their biggest gig. And he goes, he's going, Beryl, Beryl. And then he goes, oh, oh my, oh, my, my throat. I hope it's not AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> it is like... It, not it, that that's funny, but it is. It, it, it's it's oh, just so, so, so bad. And the, the scene where he finds out he has AIDS just before Live Aid in Bohemian Rhapsody... The worst thing that made me go, this is kind of a bit TV and it's not that great and Rami Malek's brilliant, but it's all a bit fluffy and I'm not really sure if I think it's that good to being like, oh my God, I'm out, mm. was the scene where he finds out he gets AIDS and he's walking out the door and there's that kid. And there were people in the cinema near me crying at this point. And I was like, Isn't, yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not crying, but oh dear. And, um, <laughs> oh dear. And, uh, and then he walks out and the, that bit where the kid goes, Bird up at him and he just turns to the door and goes, Better. Like that is <laughs> that is the, possibly the most I mean I I honestly how many people how many people made this film? How many people did it take as an entire company for this film to get made? Hundreds. Thousands. Thousands, thousands. right? And did no one go, you cannot have him go better. <laughs> you cannot have him go better uh, at the door at some little, like little kid with like lesions all over his face going better better like it is and I like burst out imagine reading that on the page in the script <laughs> yeah. and then you just turn and go better better 
and her. It, honestly, I cracked up laughing. I doubled over. When people were crying. I doubled over laughing at that bit. I was like crying with laughter. It is one of the most misguided scenes in the history of cinema. Full stop. I cannot, cannot, cannot believe. They didn't cut that out. How did that not get cut out? Anyone? Any ideas I, I, how I, that I, ended up in the film? I agree with you. It's pathetic. Well, Paul. even after that as well, he goes to the waiter's house, doesn't he? Yeah. Rocks up. It's like five years after they met at a party. <laughs> oh, yeah. Somehow he knows where he lives. <laughs> yeah. And he's just obviously still single, waiting for Freddie all this time. And he's yeah. like, do you want to come meet my parents? <laughs> we'll just go around there now. On the, day on the way to Live Aid. Well, on the day of, of Live Aid, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a lot of contrivance. So ridiculous, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And it's they're like, oh, so is this your friend? And he's like, yeah, this is my friend. Wink, wink. Yeah. Anyway, I'm off to do Live Aid now. Also, I've got to say, going back to, I'm still on that bit, but (laughs) Freddie Mercury's like that whole, that bit, that that got, he got famous for doing that. And this wasn't like, you know, people weren't putting it on Instagram that he was doing this in the 70s when he was doing it with crowds. He wasn't really famous for that. So it seems pretty unlikely for me that some kid would just go, if some kid went to him, he would have just gone, what? Exactly. exactly. And and it would have, and it would have been better instead of turning around and going, (laughs) better. Like a sad. If he'd have turned around, if he'd have decided to turn around and go, if he'd have done that in defiance, yeah. it still would have been shit. But you, you might have. It still would have been historically inaccurate, historically inaccurate and shit. But it was. Oh, it's, yeah, ter- still, it's it is awfully ter- played. Of all the things, now there's a lot of stuff that I'll be saying bad about a lot of these films. A lot of like a lot of spoiler alert. Yeah, there's a lot I don't of think that's a spoiler alert for anyone who listens a lot to this of podcast. Problems with a lot of these films. Genuinely, better is the worst thing out of all four of these films. That is the worst. That is the worst bit. Yeah, the history of cinema, you said. Yeah. The most misguided scene in it's it's as bad as is it raining? I had noticed in it four raining? weddings. And a, I had a in four weddings and a funeral. It's <laughs> finally. <laughs> it's as bad as Andy McDowell's entire career, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> hey, oh, <laughs> <laughs> what? I think when you have uh, a project go through so many different creative stages and hands, from the directors changing to obviously the actor, lead actor changing, I guess the band were way too heavily involved from the outset and there's always a problem on any film I think when you just don't have the clear blueprint from the start and the set team and stuff just gets too overthought mixed up do you know what I mean and this is the history of bad films you look at some of the films like Terry Gilliam worked on and things like that trying to remake the The Don Quixote yeah Don Quixote yeah yeah. it's just like unless sometimes there's just the the stars don't align yeah yeah, and I think you have to because it's such a high-stake business, see it through. But I wish a lot of these films would just kind of go, let's just scrap all that and start afresh. But they'd obviously put so much time and money into it from the get-go that the project had to go through all that stuff. And it is, it's a total mess. In its defense, though, I will say that for me, it worked as a emotional roller coaster and as a escapist fantasy journey um, I wasn't too hung up on any of the details or the historical accuracies or the brother. I just found it to be quite a sweeping, moving, entertaining experience. And for that reason, I think on a basic level, it works as a piece of entertainment for me. I enjoyed it. I was crying at the end. I felt satisfied. I didn't feel 
shortchanged or oh they could have done that better or that better i just thought they got the key notes that i wanted from it they took me on the journey that i hoped to go on and by the end i was like i want to now go and listen to queen mm. and celebrate that band's work and i think it is a great celebration of queen and of freddie as a yeah, human a lot and an of, artist yeah of freddie and of queen put into it i want to do a my own cut of it where it just ends <laughs> with bed up and then cuts to a gravestone and then the credits roll <laughs> If there's any video editors out there, please make that happen for Steve. Let's make dreams come true. I think I think um, it does do all those things. I, I wasn't particularly emotionally connected to it personally. Um, too I, much nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Too much it? nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I was brought out of it all the time. Um, but um, yeah, I suppose if that's if that's all you want from Bohemian Rhapsody, it won't disappoint, I guess. Um, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know what I wanted from it. I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm not a massive Queen fan to mm. be totally honest. So I was, I wasn't invested in this in, 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 from a fan's perspective. So I don't know what I wanted really, but, but I just, um, just, it just didn't, it went in one ear and sort of went out the other, went right. in one ear, went out the other kind of thing for me. Well, there you have it. Bohemian Rhapsody, um, I think he's about to, is now on sort of release for it'll, Sky Store and all Yeah, it'll probably be coming, out on, be coming out on VHS And I would imagine if you're a fan, you've seen it. If you are a fan of Queen, I would say on YouTube, you can watch Queen, These Are the Days of Our Lives, the documentary. And That's phenomenal. That yeah. is if you want a real kind of, if you really want an actual Queen document about their career yep. uh that's brilliant and also i would say if you ever get the chance to watch the channel five <laughs> yeah what's that, the title of that that, that is brilliant. there's a bit and he goes freddie frequented gay clubs and he goes up to this bloke and he goes this is freddie and he goes hmm how big's your cock <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like please god what are you doing, this poor bastard? It actually looks, it does quite a good Freddie Mercury. Mate, <laughs> He's so probably out. like, yeah, baby, how big's your cock? Groovy. <laughs> like, what is he, Austin Powers? It's rubbish. Oh, my throat's really sore. I hope we don't have AIDS. <laughs> like, it's so rubbish. It's so rubbish. And you see as well, when they go, they go three minutes to stage time, and they go, okay, let's go. And they walk out, and it cuts to like a second of the live aid, and you can see they've literally gone, they've walked out, and they've gone, right, wait two seconds, right, action. And they've walked back in and gone, oh, <laughs> great show, guys. <laughs> Did you see Elton? Elton said we were the best. And then it's just rubbish. So yeah, um, uh, Who Wants to Live Forever? The Freddie Mercury story is a Channel 5 documentary. If you want to go from uh, the best to the that, worst. That is... Do Days of Our Lives. Days of Our Lives. And then that that yeah. is great. And I'd say Bohemian Rhapsody sits somewhere in the middle. It yeah. probably would have sat right in the middle, but it sits slightly more towards the Channel 5 it's one. Slightly, yeah. Just because of better. better. <laughs> um, so what are you saying? Two out of five? What, two out of Stars five, or I'd rather give it 10. I'm going to go out of 10 rather than out of 5. I don't like out of 5. I thought you said you're going to give it 10 out no, of 10. No, no, so no. This no, is no. a strange not review. not going to give it 10 out of 10, <laughs> but I want to give it a mark out of 10 because we're Metal Hammer Not Crying, aren't we? Me and you, Renfrey. So we yeah, that's true. We have to give it, yeah. um, I'd give it a I'd give it a 5. I'd give it a 5 out of 10. Yeah. I think for the performance, like... The performances are mm. it, it, b brilliant, like yeah. exquisite. 
And so Rami Malek and the, like I say the relationship that he has with his wife. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 you know, I don't want to go on about how great the direction is too much considering possibly well, unsavory Well, that's your part of the problem, mate. <laughs> say Dexter Fletcher did a great job. Dexter though. Fletcher did a great job, yeah. yeah. Um, but the direction is, is good regardless of the character of the person who did it. catches him fucking a goat and then uh, he didn't anymore. <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's lots of things. It's a well-made film. This is, you know, undeniable. It's just there are choices and moments in it where you're like, why the fuck did they do that? Yeah. So, Alfred Hitchcock once said, you need three things to make a good film. A good script, a good script, and a good script. And I think the total flaw of this film is the script, <laughs> the story. script is appalling. Everything else is kind of, as we've just said, pretty decent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. agreed. Yeah. Okay, agreed. so five out of ten for me. I'd say five. Yeah, Matt? That's fair. I'll go with Majority Rules. It's your podcast. I would have said six, but... Okay, yeah, no, that's fine. You're allowed to... You're you can allowed have to. this why I ask you for your own yeah. score. Okay. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna go with a six out of ten, then, okay, for me. fine. All right, good. Let's move on. Um, the Dirt is the film of the book of the same name, The Motley Crew and Neil Strauss' infamous... Um, t- yeah, is it? we had this conversation about whether or not this counts as an autobiography, Renfrew, in fact, didn't we? I would call it a multi-narrative autobiography. Right, okay. That's a fresh new genre. That and the hepatitis bathtub are probably the only two <laughs> yeah. within it. Yeah, yeah. Which is what a fucking book. The no effects book. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, great book. Um, directed by Jeff Tremaine of Jackass fame. Um, I yeah. actually interviewed Jeff Tremaine when I was on Team Rock. He'd just done Did Dirty you? Grandpa right. with Johnny Knoxville. And I interviewed the little kid uh, that was in, who played Johnny Knoxville's um, grandson in it. And during our interview, he kept flicking me the bird like the while, kid the kid <laughs> he was a naughty little fucker and and i was I looking at that. him and i at one point i kind of mentioned it and i was like what, you, no one can see what you're doing mate but it's but you, you're swearing at me and yeah i a, bet he got right under his skin i love the yeah, idea of yeah, steve being actually. wound up by this cheeky little kid. so anyway so um the dirt he's your arch nemesis isn't yeah he? yeah the dirt uh the dirt the movie the dirt jeff tremaine um, i was wondering why you had that dartboard with a small child's face and yeah. uh, in change, your bedroom just change, change the child from week to week um so uh yeah this is out this came out on the 22nd of march on netflix netflix are getting a reputation for releasing high quality content uh these days which on finally yeah which uh they don't deserve on the basis of this movie um so let's just get out here right away um renfrey and i both fucking hate motley Crue's music yep yep um i i can't there aren't many bands that i hate more than motley Crue overall really i absolutely despise them what is it about the music that you despise um i hate glam metal um generally i think growing up guns and roses were one of my favorite bands and i think people who were like ah guns roses they're a bit like motley Crue," would just drive me insane because obviously they're very very different same scene but totally different bands and stuff Mm -hmm. like that um i don't like the things that they stand for stand for (laughs) i don't like i i've spent a lot of my career um trying to inform people that metal isn't just misogynistic uh lyrics and dumb knuckle draggy stuff and all the things that motley crew are and then i don't know motley crew i mean release a song or something and, and i feel like all my hard work's been undone <laughs> like, like they're just they're just a band that totally stand against everything that i like and i would say to, to add on to that not only do i agree to a point with most of that mm. um they're just not a good but their songs aren't very good they're not well produced they're not particularly well written 
they sound shit. The lyrics are crap. I think the performance, I think they're a very, very average bunch of human beings individually <laughs> who collectively make very, very below par music. Motley Crue have got, I bought Dr. Feelgood. In mm. the, I was in the middle of just like kind of about 10, 12 years ago, buying everything, buying old stuff that I'd never really listened to before. And I'd heard, I'd, I'd got, I got a Motley Crue greatest hits and I thought it was rubbish. And then people went, oh no, well, Dr. Feelgood's good. And I, what I would say, the only kind of positive thing I have to say about Motley Crue, two things are, there are a few good bubblegum pop bangers on Dr. Feelgood, a few. Mm -hmm. It's not a good album, but there are, it is, it's your proper like, the high points are, a good kickstart my heart the you know um rattlesnake 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 shake um the same old track, situation same old situation there are a few there's some the, monsters on that album yeah there are there are if you and like the production on that album is good the production on that album is good um and then i think the dirt but why i bought motley Crue's back catalogue is because i bought the dirt and i read the dirt and although i wouldn't necessarily didn't think it was cool or big or clever I was gripped by it. It's I, alluring. The Dirt yeah. is a fantastic book. I will say yeah. that. Have we all read it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the sole reason they continue to exist as a band is because of that yes, book. Yes, I agree. Oh, we'll like, get on to that. In a grunge yeah, would sure. have eradicated them, I think, from the annals of history, were it yeah. not for the total second chapter resurgence after that book of everybody just going, oh my God, this is next level hedonism yeah. and this was obviously yeah, yeah, a different yeah. time just before me too pc culture was beginning to seep in yeah uh, before obviously the internet and social media really mm -hmm. so it just became this it was 2001 that it was released was it two yeah. 2001? 2001 just yeah it's a long time ago it was released um uh, i mean again to jump i hate to jump right to the end for the second film running but one of the main let's just keep continue that theme <laughs> on yeah yeah but one of the well, we, we definitely can't do that for the next film um, <laughs> oh yeah good point good point, good point. Uh, <laughs> but to jump straight to the end one of the the things at the end where i went hmm about the most was that the impression this film gave was that vince neil came back and suddenly Motley Crue were back in arenas, which if mm. you know anything about, again, if you know about that time, when Vince Neil came back and they released Generation Swine in 1997, it was arguably even more poorly received mm. than the John Carabi self-titled mm. Motley Crue record, mm. which got a fucking kick in, was in the middle of grunge, at least, you know, kind of tried to piggyback on grunge and, you know, kind of groove metal and that kind of thing. They went back on Generation Swine to just doing the same old thing that Motley Crue used to do, but with Vince Neil and the band thinking people would buy it. In 1997. In 1997. Absolutely. No one gives a fuck about it. No one ever talks about that record. No, you know, that's Vince Neil's quote unquote big comeback record. Mm. Well, no I think ultimately though, what they try and show with that is that they again attained arena status, which they yeah, obviously they did. did. But the, when we talk about the meta of like, uh, you know, met you know the, the sort of influences of you know um, this meta thing uh i don't know how to end that sentence very well but, but like <laughs> it's, it's really meta that the dirt the film is a film of the book and the book is the reason that the motley crew are big again yeah and the reason this film exists and there is a film being made about motley crew and the reason people give a shit about motley crew and the dirt is because of the dirt. And yeah. So you couldn't go. And then we wrote. The, if they'd have gone at the end, and of then the we film, wrote a book which saved our careers. Yeah, and but, it got turned and this into a movie. Was that book? Yeah, and, <laughs> and then it got turned into a movie. But it would have been more interesting too, and it would have actually been keeping in with the book itself because the book. 
Um, there, there's there's one point in the film. They're where... never going to admit that to themselves, though, are no, they? Of course they're no, never going to go no. that the reason people still like us is because of our book. Well, <laughs> this is I I question if bands should be involved with their own biopics for reasons like that, uh, especially a band who I imagine. Well, I say I imagine. You, Matt Stocks. Hello. Um, Hello. Um, you're quite... F- you know Nicky, is that right? Nicky Six? Or like, do you know him well? Or? Just going to pick up that name. <laughs> you just dropped <laughs> for me. <laughs> but you, 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 part of the reason... I, I think a big part of the reason we brought you on was mm. for The Dirt specifically, because we me, we have just said how much we fucking hate that band. You you <laughs> like Motley Crue? Uh, well, let's to start with Nicky and the connection there okay. is when I worked on Kerrang!, uh, um, Nicky was launching his stateside radio show called Six Sense. And they were coming over to the UK to try and promote that syndicated radio show in the US over here. For what purpose, I'll never really know because ultimately everybody in the UK couldn't listen to it. Right. But I did an interview with him and his co-host at the time, Kerry Kasem, who is Casey Kasem's daughter, who was the voice of Shaggy in Scooby-Doo. Oh. And he also used to present like the Hot 100 what, Countdown show. That guy. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, Scooby. Uh, that guy. Um, so he's a legend. My She's second favourite Lovely. Shaggy. <laughs> second favourite Shaggy. Yeah. And, uh, Something so else means Sting having come <laughs> <laughs> That tour, has that happened yet? <laughs> no, happened. no. We need, to, we need to go see that and review it on this show. We do. That would be fa- a fantastic <laughs> exercise. So, up for it. <laughs> um, so I did an interview with a pair of them, and we just hit it off. And afterwards, their manager, uh, Constance, who's still a friend to this day, lovely lady. She and the lady Tanya, who was working for Sirius, the radio station, sort of pitched me the idea of, would you like to have an hour-long slot once a week within your radio show, which is basically part of their syndicated Sixth Sense show? And I was like, well, are you kidding me? Of course I do. So mm. I basically got to work with Nikki and his producer, Laurie and Kerry, for a year. And they'd have an hour-long slot within my show every week. I went mm. out to LA, did some stuff with them. So we became colleagues, and then when Kerrang! shut down its Birmingham offices and I got let go, Nikki and Kerry were both very supportive and kind, and really, when they didn't have to, uh, remained in contact over emails. And Nikki still, to this day, every time I send him an email, he always gets back within like the hour. Hmm. Um, and it's always like, not just, hi, how are you? Hmm. Um, and we were chatting about the Cobain film, Montage of Heck, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. on the final tour, he got me a load of like all-access passes. And so, yeah, he's always been someone I consider... A friend, like a, a good dude, a good yeah. dude. Despite yeah. his past, um, he's come through that, and I think he's you know, he's a stand-up guy. He's the real deal. As far as the music goes, um, I like the first album because I like the raw punk energy of it. Is I think that too fast, too loud. Uh, too fast for love. Too, too fast, fast, fast for love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that the name of the first album? Mm-hmm. Live wire songs like that. There's just a, there's an energy there and a rawness mm-hmm. that I like, and I like the spirit and just the kind of the whole vibe of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love. Dr. Feelgood, not as, as say you said, sorry, it's not necessarily as an album, but there's standout tracks on that that yeah. are killer. Uh, and then they've just got good singles. They're a good singles band, and obviously Vince Neil cannot sing to save his not, life. Not anymore, Arguably certainly. couldn't ever. Um, so Would that for me is... Ever? Interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've never really... His voice has always been my least favourite thing about the band. I always thought that was a, more of a since they reformed thing, but I, I didn't. Oh, uh, now it's... <laughs> oh, it's atrocious now. Yeah. Abysmal. But yeah. even the early stuff, you're kind of like, oh, if only they'd had a different singer, maybe it would have been different. Oh, but I think I think what makes that band interesting is the the chemistry. It's 
they're the true definition of when four total misfits who should never have been put in a room together in the first place come together and the end result is bigger than, you know, the sum parts put together. And I think that's what makes them an exciting proposition and that's what's made their legacy stand the test of time. And that's why their journey and story and career is quite inspiring and unique is they're very different guys. And you sort of see with the way things have gone in their personal lives, how different they are and the music projects they've been involved in outside of Motley Crue. And I just, I like the idea of that, like they're one of the last gangs mm-hmm. and great bands for me should be gangs, like all for one, one for all. And I think they really define and embody that. So I think there's, mm-hmm. they're a special band. I don't necessarily rate them. Mm-hmm. I think there's way better bands, but I think they're just, they're unique, they're special and they've obviously gone through the worst and the best that anyone could hope to go through collectively as well as individually and have come through it. And I think there's a uh, there's an inspirational kind of lesson there as well. Not to celebrate some of the stuff that they did, mm. but I think the fact that they've come through it all and have sort of remained defiant in the face of adversity and tragedy and failure is, for me, quite like a, um, a unique selling point that makes them special. I think there's undeniably an interesting chemistry in Motley Crue, despite yeah. really really disliking them yeah <laughs> I, I mean I, 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 there's a very interesting yeah, chemistry that, and dynamic that's definitely true group. it's just i mean there's stuff mm-hmm. bits in this film like for example when they there's a bit where they first get together to rehearse and vince neil's girlfriend's in there mm. and they start playing and it's they live wire isn't it they, they start playing it is live wire, wire yeah. yeah and they start and they tune they go oh we tune down a step and da, da, da. play it a bit faster oh, a bit yeah. faster bring this note up to here and yeah you'll and be then good. they start playing it and it sounds like exactly live wire and you see this girl go wow and i just went what you going wow this is the first time you've ever heard a song ever but like, you're looking at it with your eyes i know i've seen yeah, everything that's come since so that's i guess that's why i like it's hard for me to get but you know, but, excited, but i would pick up that so uh, i mentioned amadeus earlier one of the reasons amadeus is so amazing is even if you have no uh music theory knowledge whatsoever it shows you why Amadeus was a genius. It actually, there are scenes in it where, um, and it basically does that by Salieri is like a rival composer and he does mm. something and then Mozart comes along and jazzes it up and makes it a mi- million times better. And you do not need any musical knowledge whatsoever to go, okay, that is so much better than that version. Mm. At no point in this film did I ever feel like it was showing me why Motley Crue are, were a quote-unquote great band because I don't think... Well, Motley Crue should never even be put in the same sentence as Mozart for a start. (laughs) And I just have. Um, No, of course, I mean, of course, I, you know, yeah, I agree. Um, Like, but... And, and I suppose it's easier to show why Mozart is a genius than Motley Crue. Because he was, yeah, yeah. Because he was... And I'm not sure. I mean, um, Motley Crue are a bit of a naff band, especially mm. by today's standards. You know, not just the kind of lyrical content and their exploits, but even production-wise, sonically, mm. technically. Yeah, yeah. They're not great. Yeah. But I don't think they ever set out to be. Maybe some sort yeah. of self-delusions or false sense of grandeur I, I, at points I mean, in time has made I, them feel have, like we're the fucking Motley Crue, but yeah, is that I've, because of anything they've done musically? I don't know. I mean, I've, I've, I've interviewed Nikki Six once. And it was when they signed the declaration of splitting up legally, oh, yeah. we can't get back together. And it was for a news story from Metal Hammer for that. They can't and play live together. They can't I play live together, yeah. And, um, and he, again, like, you know, to back up what you said, him, he f- seemed like a very, very nice man. He seemed like a very 
pleasant um, and a, a very he's just like personable, a cool guy. Yeah, personable. He seemed like a really personable, friendly, articulate guy. But I did get this sense of, like you say, a delusion of grandeur. The way he was talking about Motley Crue as if, you know, we changed the world and that kind of... There were things that he said where I was like, come on, mate, come on, really. Like, you're in Motley Crue. And he mm. was speaking like he was, you know, like he was Mozart, you know, when he was mm. talking about the way that, that our art will transcend all of us and all this kind of thing. When I look up at the stars and I know that I'm one of them, I think was one of the things that he said oh. to me, where I was just like, fucking Jesus Christ. Well, Gene Simmons um, has a great quote in relation to that, which is, unless you're going to fucking have ego in the first place, don't get Get up on stage no of course and i think sure. you need a sense of self-worth and you know maybe self-deluded kind of yeah but there's also keeping your ego in check i mean there's a balance but i don't I, think you, you wouldn't expect i don't think you do can that. keep the egos of people like nikki six and gene simmons in check i just don't think yeah. you can because of the success that they've enjoyed and because people continue now to celebrate them yeah and that mm. i mean even if you are shit if everyone says you're great you're gonna think you're great aren't yeah, you yeah, yeah and i mean the response to this film particularly from females and we can go all over with the film but let's sort of talk first of all I think about the feminine reaction to the dirt because I thought this film is going to be so out of step with the kind of current climate yeah that people are going to reevaluate it with today's eyes and they're going to go actually we shouldn't be celebrating this kind of stuff anymore mm. and granted most of the females that I have in my periphery in my life are people who like rock and roll music mm -hmm. so they're probably going to be a bit more sympathetic towards mm -hmm. the subject matter and the band but all I've seen is people go oh my god I fancy Douglas Booth so much as Nikki Six in this film Motley Crue forever one of the best rock and roll bands and I'm like really so the idea of like a junkie lying cheating <laughs> murderous filthy scumbag in 2019 is still attractive to yeah, you yeah, yeah. which is a very interesting thing yeah and it, i guess it yeah. does prove that yeah. girls like a bad boy i guess still despite all the kind of dialogue that's out there at the moment about be better like fucking don't be that guy it I, seems I like they're still celebrating those guys uh, that's Weird. A, obviously a massive generalization it but, is. There, but that, there is something to that yeah i think i think that's not you know totally um i don't think it's a a fallacy a complete mm. fallacy um i think it the, 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 like leading on to um taking that there's there's been um critical reaction to the dirt has been very 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 poor mm -hmm. but there's been a sort of backlash a fan based a, a fan based backlash critics from, don't get it man yeah um that's and, always and, been the sort of motley crew story hasn't it it's critics yeah. hate them fans love them. i mean actually yeah. hammer put uh, metal hammer tweeted that exact story fans loved it and critics hated it and i actually retweeted it and said but Motley Crue fans also like Motley Crue. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you should probably take what they think with a pinch of salt. <laughs> salt yeah. um, so let's get into it. I mean, what do you think about The Dirt as a film, Matt? First of all, I was made up when I heard that Jeff Tremaine was going to be directing it mm -hmm. because I grew up watching Jackass and I love that franchise uh for better or worse obviously you know it's a very teen thing um and yeah. i'm obviously no longer a young idiotic <laughs> idiotic boy but i still have a soft spot for that kind of humor and i thought he was the perfect guy for the job before seeing it and having seen it i think undoubtedly he was the right guy for the job i don't think anybody could have tapped in to the again the spirit the, the mythology the energy uh, from the opening scene, I don't. I don't want to interrupt. Oh, I am going to interrupt. Come you, sorry. on, come at me. Um, I couldn't disagree with you more. Okay. But I'd like to hear your reason why you think he was great first, and then I'll go into that. Well, but, yeah. he has spent his career surrounded by 
you know, idiotic mm-hmm. men child. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Hellraisers. Like, he, that is a subject matter that he knows inside and out. He's worked with Steve-O. He's worked with Ryan Dunn. He's worked Bam, with Bam Margera. Yeah. Yeah. He knows these people. Obviously, they're stunt, you know, performers as opposed to musicians, but it's basically the same thing. It's like adolescent guys yep. that have got too much fame, too much money, drug problems they're running out of control there's a lot of parallels with uh, jackass and absolutely Crew. loads I get that, and uh, yeah. and he's also a huge fan of them and i think that being a fan of a band like that is important because i think that's why they don't concentrate too much on the musical side of things is he notices the the worth in motley Crue and the brand as the hellraisers that they're mm. celebrated for being as opposed to these musical pioneers which they arguably never were renfrey the argument against jeff tremaine um I do. And I just thought, as well as knowing the subject matter, sorry, he, the presentation of it, it felt like you were along for the ride. Mm-hmm. I like that they didn't labor any details or points. You know, you'd have uh, Tommy Lee embracing the kind of Eastern culture with the tattoos and the hairstyle. And, you know, they'd go through the various different costumes. And it wasn't like, this is the year. This is the album they're working on. Here, where, you know, here's where everything is kind of at right now. They were just kind of breeze through it at this breakneck speed and knowing the subject matter you're like oh that's this point in time that's this point in time and they didn't labor over it and so it just felt very exciting and fresh and it felt like when you read the book you know and you're on this journey and i like the interjections of the voiceovers as well and how they were very self-aware there was a lot of wink wink nudge nudge in this mm-hmm. but i thought it really served the material and uh yeah, I'll leave it there for now. Um, I do agree in terms of... I, I see why Jeff Tremaine was hired to do it, uh, the Jackass Connection. My main issue with it is Jeff Tremaine, bar bad grandpa, which is a very loose story. Jeff Tremaine, bar bad grandpa, has never tried to tell a cohesive narrative story before. Mm-hmm. And I think that is blindingly obvious by the dirt i think giving uh, giving a director who has never told narrative cinema before a multi-stranded multi-narrated 400 and something page tome to adapt is insane uh, like I like I I I I, I but, don't but think they play Tremaine... they play the storyline fast and loose like the band like the music and I think it really works I think that's why they chose him is they didn't want a guy who's going to come at it from a very analytical point of view I actually I I again I completely disagree the, the, <laughs> I I agree it's breakneck pace yeah um, I think that's one of the film's biggest weaknesses uh, because it just felt like, similarly to Bohemian Rhapsody, it felt like, let's try and get as much in as we possibly can, but there's no point where it ever settles to a point where I actually feel anything apart from total hatred for these irritating people. Well, to be honest, uh, <laughs> should you feel anything but hatred for these characters and well, everything that they've Vince done? I think when Vince Mills' daughter gets cancer and he, you know, and he mur- I mean, you know, he's, he's up for, man- you know, he commits manslaughter and when you've just had that scene and 10 minutes later you've got machine gun kelly in his pants running around a hotel room like it's jarring massively, it's really massively jarring, jarring. Yeah. to me it was so jarring and on the point of jeff germain um i am way more towards renfrey now the decline of western civilization part two mm. like to go back to when i compared um you know the queen biopic with the queen documentary the decline of western civilization part two or the glam metal episode of Mm. uh, metal evolution both of them very good both of them made by people with a deep suspicion 
mm. of that scene mm. and what it tells you about those people and the kind of the actual darkness that that lies behind these people there was a kind of romanticized with the dirt, you uh, heroin mean. chic with the, with Nikki Six's bit. Oh, like, oh, I'm just a sort of beautiful junkie. Oh, we were just party animals. You know, Jeff Tremaine, as a man who, as you said, hangs out with Johnny Knoxville and Steve-O and Ryan Dunn and all these people, he is someone who goes, yeah, great, yeah, like, I'm going mad. And I think if you don't enter a film like The Dirt as a director with a level of... But are the band going to hire that guy well, exactly. for the job? Again, no but the way. band are the, no the bands like even because they were so, they were producers, weren't well, they? Even That's more, the thing. even Not more even than Bohemian producers. Rhapsody, even more than Bohemian Rhapsody. Motley Crue, the individuals in Motley Crue's footprints and fingerprints are, are all over. So it, yeah. there's a bit where Tommy Lee and Heather Locklear break up, and oh, yeah. Machine Gun Kelly playing Tommy Lee goes, "She's going to be the one that got away forever." And it was like, again, that took me out of it. And I just went, don't air your grievances against your ex-wife in this film. Like, don't air. Yeah. Like, it's basically going to Pamela Anderson, two fingers up to you. That's what it felt like to me. Like, oh, Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson have fallen out. Well, I'm going to put that line in. So that when I she sees Heather it. I love Heather Moore. Yeah. When she sees it, she'll go, oh. Yeah. Like, I was trying to say an upsetting thing. And it's like, I don't want you, Tommy Lee, to air your personal laundry. But would you expect anything different from Tommy Lee? Well, he shouldn't have been allowed near I, it. I, I, I think this is this raises a question. How close should a band be to adapting their own stuff? And actually, the music is in The best is nowhere I, near it. No, they exactly. should be nowhere near it. Exactly, and that's when the best films exactly. about artists are made. And the I, the music is a column I did this week kind of compares Lords of Chaos and The Dirt, um, and why one is more successful than the other. Spoiler, um, and the you know one of the points I raise is The Dirt has yeah all four members as producers, not even executive producers. Well, yeah. that's a key point Produ to make. Is actually, produ executive yeah. producers put forward the money. Yeah, producers are like on set; on they're set. overseeing it, and they're fingers are firmly in the pie and it shows you and in, in the credits that they're on they were on set yeah. you know so it's obvious that they were there and um you can't get that this is when ego will come into play and i'm not i'm not even saying that as a slight to the band because it, it would if i was adapting my own life not that anyone would be interested in seeing it <laughs> but <Whoa>. it, <laughs> who play if, me if i were adapting my own life there are periods jason in, statham yeah. <laughs> Right, Crank four uh, <laughs> or three. Um, there Welcome are... to write. It's been for dead people. Fucking say something, <laughs> There are periods in my life that I'd want to either gloss over or maybe take the edges off or, you know, to make me seem like, like a Like domestic spousal abuse, for instance. <laughs> yeah. Don't add another rumour to the plate, for fuck's sake. Tommy Lee, I'm talking about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I put myself in it there. Yeah. Um, Guilty conscience? <laughs> but, you know, that, that is just, in, I think that is inevitable. Yeah. I think we all would do that. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's probably not the best. Well, that's what I tell you. Dr. Dre was on set on the making of Straight Outta Compton. And you watch Straight Outta Compton and he's not, and that is the difference between a very, very credible artist, a musical genius, allowing himself to go on and go, okay, this happened, and being able to be totally an analytical about it. And what I imagine Tommy Lee and Nikki Six high-fiving each other, going, hey, remember when we fucking licked up some piss? Like, do you know <laughs> what I mean? I, and I mean, I think, the so in terms of going back to the band's fingerprints being all over it, 
The other thing about it with Jeff Tremaine is not only do I think he is too buddy buddy with the you know like too kind of subservient to what the band want. Yeah, he's a hired gun as opposed to like an auteur taking on oh, the subject. God, yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. the other thing about it is for me, unlike Bohemian Rhapsody, Bohemian Rhapsody felt like an ITV drama. Whereas this feels like an Adam Sandler movie. I it think just, it would have like, worked I, better as a series, though. Yes, and I then agree. it would have been like, like a, as ten one-hour-long episodic. Well, I I think if they had done that, a it wouldn't have felt like this rush to the rush to the end and trying to get so many things in. But b I think they could have explored more. Like the most interesting thing about the dirt, the book, is the conflicting narratives. You get a yeah. Tommy Lee chapter, which says this is how it went down. And then immediately afterwards, you get a Mick Mars chapter, which goes, which tells exactly the same events, but completely from a different perspective, which literally contradict one another. Mm-hmm. And the film touch, like sort of touches on it a it's little bit. That, there? There's nowhere near enough of that. And that is by far the most interesting part of the film. And I don't think Jeff Tremaine was interested in doing that, uh, exploring that too much. Well, you're constrained as well, aren't you? Like with, I think with any book, the film is never going to be as good ever. Like I'd be hard pressed to find a single film that most tops of the, time. the original There's one or two. source material because of the Godfather. nature of the medium. And you have to cut out, so yes. much yes but this is this is this is why i'm agreeing with you i think it should have been a series mm. because to give tremaine some to come some slack 108 minutes would not be long enough to to make that a multi-threaded narration thing and but can you imagine how interesting that would have been as a 10 parts you could almost do it in an arrested development style way where you have one perspective yeah um uh, one character's perspective per episode series there are so three. many yeah there are so <laughs> many amazing interesting things that you could have done with that source material and the fact that they just went for a straight laced let's get from a to b to let's do the classic you know um zeros to heroes the the downward spiral and then they're heroes again do you know probably why the reason they didn't though is then they'd have to work together more well do you know what i mean with with a band like that although they can just about, I guess, better to be in the same room together. But this is this is you my can't pro- imagine that they would last yeah, the, the production of an entire but series. This is my problem with Motley Crue in falling the, in, out all over again. In that, it's like you're talking about artists getting together who don't give a fuck about the final products. They just are trying to get money yeah. out of it, aren't yeah, yeah. they? Yeah. But I, I don't think that is a surprise to anyone. If no, it is, I don't think it again, be. like to go back to the, you know my other my other big problem with it, and again, I don't know if this is really Jeff Tremaine, but as I say, hinted on when I compared it to an Adam Sandler film. You watch The Wedding Singer and you go, ah, look at the haircuts. Ah, look, it's that time. Ah, look, he's got a Rubik's Cube. Ah, the 80s. Look, ah, he's got an ALF poster on the wall, right? I mean, there's stuff like, you know, I think you said something the other day about he wouldn't be wearing that Hulkamania T-shirt because it was not. Yeah, Danko Jones pointed it out on Twitter. He said that the Hulk T-shirt that Tommy's wearing, uh, well, Hulk wasn't a character until, say, 80 yeah. something. There's stuff uh, like that. The right. stuff year like that, he's wearing right? it is the year before it's that. It's not right. difficult but to get right. I don't care right. about stuff like that. Yeah, but it's Personally, not difficult to get that right. And it just shows no. that. So uh, to yeah, give it, to that, give it a comparison. That's the problem. To give, yeah. it a com- to give you a comparison between something brilliant and something appalling, right? Now, <laughs> I, you watch Brass Eye, which is the greatest television program ever made, right? Every single little solitary 
nuanced moment of every when they go to America where they well, whatever they do like every single part of it is perfect yeah. every single part of that has been made to look exactly like a news show it's not meticulous yeah it is absolutely meticulous you can I watched an episode where for of, of how I met your mother it was on one one day right and they went <laughs> just oh, on remember remember the 80s and they went back and it was like oh it's 1984 and a, guy, and a guy went I've got tickets to see the ultimate warrior versus Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 8 and it's like well that was that was 1989 like that's yeah. five years yeah, time yeah, yeah. although actually no he th- 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 he was wearing a Hulkamania t-shirt and said that and then someone else walked in and went um where do they get a load of me oh have you seen the new Batman film and they that's went, 1989 and they went well that's that's 1989 as mm, well. Like, mm. and you said it's not. There were just so many conflicting things, and they just spent so little time in going. And they they were watching a, sh- a show on TV in the 80s, and it looked like it was HD. It didn't look like that. So this again, to me, the 80s Sunset Strip Motley Crew. It's all about the sheen and the the glitz and the you know the the brightness of it. But at the same time. Motley Crue, I'm sure themselves would admit, you know, there was this dark underbelly. And this film has no dark underbelly. It doesn't look... No, I'm not saying they should have made a gritty kind of character study, but it was so day glow and it was so HD and it was so like, look at this, we're playing dress up. But that's the whole mythology that they're aiming to maintain and celebrate, isn't it? Again, it's not based in fact. No, of course it's not based in fact. And I don't think they would want to... I'd be interested to see The Heroin Diaries turned into a film and that would be, I think, a lot more of a gritty dark yeah. well, actually, indie feel film even even the passages but that doesn't have the same mass appeal does it no. even, even but even the passages that go into Nikki Six's heroin addiction um, you've got Johnny Thunders playing and it's all very yeah. romanticised yeah. somebody and... some woman no. in a bum out brings it through a fucking yeah. lace curtain but yeah, I was yeah, going to say yeah. but, but the, the, the oh and Slash and Steven Adler in the background did you notice yeah, that yeah yeah um, but some of the passages in the in the book are quite you know obviously it doesn't the go into the depth. far more honest and yeah. expose style yeah. isn't it it doesn't yeah. go into the depth that the um um heroin diaries does obviously because that's an entire book about it but the dirt the book does get quite dark in places and there was absolutely fuck all of that at all um and i think I think, I mean, just going back to that previous point in terms of the details, I think that's an interesting, like you, Matt, saying that, like, I don't care about that stuff if it's out of sync. Well, or, the, or the, the, the main time. one is uh, Doc McGee, the manager, he yeah. didn't actually start managing Kiss until after Motley Crue. Yes. And in the voiceover, yes. he's going, yes. I managed I Scorpions, managed I managed yeah, Kiss. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's a glaring thing. But again, for me, I just don't get bogged down on that stuff because I know what I'm watching is meant to be fiction, fantasy, entertainment. If I'm watching a documentary and there's, you know, then that's, inaccuracies... Yeah then I will not stand for it. But if I'm watching a film that I know is designed to just entertain and... I think just to reiterate... For me personally. Just to reiterate... And obviously that's fine. But like to reiterate Steve's point, the reason it bugs me is because you think... It's not that hard. If you can't get that right, why should I trust you? (laughs) And that that is what I think. It takes me out of it and I go, well... I if if you if I could do a better job than you of doing the the small details like that, why should I bother mm. investing my time in watching your piece of shit film? <laughs> um, that's that's genuinely what I think. And, and whenever shit like that happens, let's talk about the let's pro- talk about the actors. Let's talk about the actors now. For actors, for um, <laughs> we'll get about it. Like I want to I want to go straight in on this. For for um the bedow scene in oh, God. Bohemian Rhapsody, yeah. read 
Jack Sparrow, a.k.a. Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy spelled A-U-S-S-I-E, Osbourne. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's... Uh, G'day, mate. Let's, let's talk about Ozzy Osbourne's cameo. The worst casting... Oh, it's awful, isn't it? It is so yeah. bad. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. <laughs> you guys all just sniff some ants, mate. The it best is... line in the whole book as well is when he pisses on the floor, licks it, and then he goes, do that six. And that's one of my favourite lines in the whole book. And he doesn't even say that. He just no. kind of pushes him out of the way. That, for me, that really pissed me off. I was like, that is the worst, hey. worst Aussie impression. You know, I mean, it doesn't even sound English, let alone Brummy. It's awful. But it's, it's kind of, Aussie is that kind of, Birmingham by way of LA so I think that's kind of what he was trying to do but it was just but he's never sounded like that he's he never still sounded, sounded like that it, is, now. it was a fucking despicable a caricature yeah, of a car crash not you know I think maybe a despicable well it was appalling <laughs> it, it was, was absolutely abysmal you've seen that guy has watched the Osbournes yeah. and then seen a picture of Ozzy from the 80s yeah, yeah. he yeah. looked the part he, he did. did look good in the dress with the hair with the tattoos yeah he had the right physique around that time of Ozzy he well, looked the part but that's the thing I think I think the costumes and stuff like that in the whole of Motley in the whole of the dirt is really really good mm. but I went away from the film going well the costumes were really good yeah. Yeah. and when you do that you know yeah. you're watching something pretty fucking awful that's one of the only nice things you can say about it and the, the, the costumes were brilliant they I were, love yeah. the way Tommy has uh, Tommy has Tommy Lee's hair changed yep. like uh, from era to, you knew you knew what era it was from his hair alone but when you're concentrating on that and going oh that was one of the best mm. things of the film you know you've watched something pretty fucking yeah. diabolical that scene with Ozzy Oh, was awful. A travesty, isn't it? Rubbish. Yeah. Because it could have been what, it could have been the highlight of the whole film that it could have yeah. been one of those famous scenes that everyone talks about forever yeah. as the you know the cameo that stole the whole film. Yeah. And if anybody listening to this thinks that he did a good job. <laughs> well someone tweeted me and went the the guy in the film is, why. is better than the real Aussie. <laughs> and I was like <laughs> And I was like, no, no. No, he might and be he a bad like, singer. He was like, to be "Oh, what?" And I went, "I went, you know." He was like, oh, I'd, "I'd love to see that guy doing Aussie." And I went, "He's like, oh, what? Aussie can't sing anymore, and he's this, and he's old, and he's fucked." And I was like, "Yeah, but he's never been in two broke girls, has he?" <laughs> so just for that alone, this cunt can fuck off. Um, he was rubbish, that guy. Yeah, he's awful, awful. I just wanted him to just lick the piss and then go better. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been an interesting crossover. It would have done, yeah. When Ozzy met Freddy. <laughs> I thought the, for me, the highlight of the whole thing, like the guy who did steal the show was, um, I can't remember the actor's name, but he's in Ewan Misfits. Redon. He's in Misfits and Game of Thrones and he plays McMars. And yeah. I thought he was fan-fucking-tastic. He was very good. I thought he was the best. He was good, yeah. I'm yeah. not going to go as far as saying he was good, but I thought he was the best. Oh, I thought he was actually... <laughs> You know, he was sardonic. He, he was, was scathing. He was he he was the one who, to me, appeared to be the. Ma I mean, again, a massive caricature of what I imagine Mick Mars is really mm, like. Mm, mm. Um, but certainly the most enjoyable one to watch, and the one who annoyed me the least. Yeah, I thought I've yes, I, I've interviewed Douglas Booth. Um, you were there when we, yeah, yeah, he yeah. was in the Riot Club. The Bullingdon, the Bullingdon Boys Bullingdon film, Club yeah, 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 film, yeah. Um, and he seemed like a nice guy when, when we spoke to him. I didn't really rate him that highly as Nicky Six. Um, I thought the guy who played um, uh, Vince Neil was fucking rubbish. Appalling. He What's the was... TV show he's in? Is it The Punisher? 
He's in one of those Marvel TV shows, and he's just, he's got no character. He's got no personality. Him crying over when they brought up his daughter dying is, was, was just like so shit. Yeah. So shit. And then you've got. I thought Machine Gun Kelly Machine was Gun Kelly. also a standout. I thought he was really good. I thought he captured the kind of childlike energy and spirit. And yeah. uh, I, I agree with that, but I'm, it would have been fine if, if they were just doing Motley Crue the party years, fine. But when he's getting mm. divorced and when he pulls a kind of like. When he that you know, shocked when he, face when of his he, act, yeah. When he punches the girl, I mean, there's mm. again this. The band's fucking fingerprints are all over the bit where Tommy Lee punches his girlfriend, and they all go, "Oh, oh no!" Yeah. I bet yeah. they all went, "Ah!" In real he life. looks yeah. Yeah. like he's done the worst thing ever imaginable, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah. Well, he goes off to, to cry in the corner. Yeah, he, he tries to. He actually looks like he's smelt a fart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what he actually looks like, but. Yeah, he was. He's good at the kind of high energy dude stuff. He yeah, was good yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Any kind of emotional part that he had to do, I thought he was rubbish. Basically, I actually thought Douglas Booth was stuff. really good. Yeah. I enjoyed his performance as Nicky. I thought he captured both the very blind, ambitious side of Nicky Six that he's always had. Like he's always had this undeniable self belief, and you can tell from reading the book, watching the film, and just encountering him and reading about the band that he is the leader in the he's the mm-hmm. captain of that ship yeah and i thought that douglas booth captured that like relentless ruthless drive but then also i thought with the heroin stuff both physically and just in his total mannerisms and everything like the nuances of his performance i thought he captured those kind of darker he, he years ne- I, no i not see, in the right setting because it's as you no, say no, there's but a woman I don't, I, he never felt like nikki six to me you don't think he felt believable as a junkie not believable i think if, if believable enough but he never felt wild and dangerous enough for me nikki six i imagine my, my kind of imagination of motley crew at their most decadent is you know mick mars sort of sitting back and being a bit aloof yeah, yeah. is Vince Neil just fucking everything inside over everyone is Tommy Lee running you know doing bouncing the kind off the of walls bounce. and is Nikki Six actually being a little kind of you'd look at Nikki Six and go he's kind of the most he's he's the genuinely dangerous one because he was damaged goods wasn't he yeah, you know, yeah. he was a you runaway know? kid and and I never felt like but Douglas, is that because Nikki doesn't want to have him well, portrayed maybe, as that maybe, because but now I just, he's I'm this reformed sure guy I'm, I think so I think he would have maybe. picked that guy for those qualities and yeah. gone. He's going to portray me as the leader, probably. As... But it's to the detriment of the film. Again, yeah, yeah, that's, totally that's to the, the problem of the film. I mean, so many bits in it. Again, you know, it was a lot of set pieces, and it was hard to ever really get emotionally invested in it. In, in stuff like him coming along, oh, I love you guys. My name's Razzle, and the next scene, he's in a car and he's dead. Oh, and you're God, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, who's he? Just some bloke. Oh, yeah. you never. Oh, I'm in Anoy Rocks. Hello, mate. Yeah. You know, it's fucking the bloke, the Aussie bloke again with a different hat. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hello, yeah. mate. I'm yeah. Razzle. His act, oh, yeah. his accent was well, they, yeah. better than Aussie. They actually, yeah. they actually do go easy. He goes, I'm Razzle, and then they they um, cut to Motley Crue looking bemused, and then he goes from Anoy Rocks, and then they go, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. And it's very kind Whereas of. Whereas actually, they were courting the whole band, weren't they? When yeah, Hanoi Rocks exactly. were over and partying, and then the next scene he's not in it and then suddenly they go oh I'm just going to get some drink you coming Razzle yeah mate yeah. and then there's this little conversation between the two of them and then he's dead and you're just like was this he is... just a random bloke who died or was he close to him or you don't really well, this is this is what I mean by a director not being able to tell a cohesive narrative story well mm. and which is why mm. I think very strongly that Tremaine was absolutely the wrong choice mm. because you need to get <laughs> it's a complex because <laughs> it's a complex story and you need to get someone who has uh, 
who has done the, made attempts at doing that before you know what i will say is i'm yet to see any fans of the band that feel disappointed with the film yeah but and fans so of motley crew have very they do also like motley crew there you go <laughs> yeah yeah let's, let's never forget that i think it's ticked the boxes for motley crew fans i think it's hit all the it's, right it's points ironic, and... it's ironic to see Motley, well not ironic, but it's interesting to see Motley Crue, well, we're about to talk about Lords of Chaos, it's interesting to see fans of the band be so pleased with the results of something that the band have so obviously, you know, ruined, really. Mm. Uh, whereas fans of the bands of the next film, the bands who have n wanted nothing to do with it, mm. uh, are slating the next film. Mm. I think we should probably sum up the dirt because I don't think we're going to say anything else more about it and then we'll get on to Lords of Chaos and how those two things work together. Is there any redeeming the qualities other than the costumes for you two Not from at the dirt? I think this is Zero. an absolute piece of shit, this film. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I do agree. I do agree. Ewan, uh, Eamon Rayon, who plays Mick Mars, I think is, I think does a good job. He's also the only and, really likeable character yeah, from and, reading and, the book, isn't he? Yeah. After you read the book, yeah. you kind of go, well, these guys aren't very good people, I are think they? But he, yeah. He's the one he's who the seems to have the character. most clear idea about who he's playing. Yeah. Yeah, I like the costumes. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, like uh, the, I like the clothes and the haircuts. <laughs> I'm going to give it a, a solid six, because as I said, I think for fans of the band, it does all the right things. It kind of takes you through all the, the periods and the emotions and the... The, the ride that you'd want from a Motley Crue movie, I think this takes you on it and it's fun and enjoyable uh, and it is flawed, but then so are they. So yeah, six mm, from me. As good as Bow Rap. As, as good as Bow Rap. Yeah, I think they're of equal equal ratings. Uh, I'd maybe even say I preferred The Dirt a bit more. Fucking but, wow. But they're wow. both, I mean, they're both okay. in the six. Wow. Okay. Renfrey, out of ten? Um, three. Two for me. Right. Piece of shit. Absolute <laughs> piece of shit. Shit film about a shit band would be my put, summation. Put that on the DVD cover. <laughs> yeah, I wish they would. I was I was I was going between two and a three. Maybe I'll go to two point five. I, yeah. yeah. Um, the costumes are really good. <laughs> the hair looks great. Um That'll do then. Yeah. Rubbish. Let's move on. All right, so uh, the third film we're going to talk about, and this is a bit of me, um, bit of is me? The, 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 the much anticipated Lords of Chaos. It is, as I said, the, uh, the, the film based on the book of the same name. The book was by Michael Moynihan and Didrik Solderind. And this is very, directed... Very good attempt. Thank you very much. This Pro is Probably wrong, but very good. Yeah, probably. Mm -hmm. um, it's directed by Jonas Ackerland, mm -hmm. famous for um, his video work with the likes of Madonna Ramstein, on Ray of Light. Ramstein, Lady Gaga. Smack My Bitch Up, famously. Yeah, Prodigy. He, he, he did... Uh, that was going to be his first one. Turn the Page. Mm, yeah, with, Metallica. Uh, with Metallica. He did Whiskey in the Jar as well. He did, yeah. And formerly... The drummer of Bathory. Yes. The uh, I never knew that. The uh, oh, did yeah, you know? The, I know zero about this scene, which is why I enjoyed ah, the film okay. so the much. Early, early um, proto black me black metal legends. Norwegian black metal. Swedish. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Bathory is Swedish. Yeah. Um, but this tells them. a story of we. Oh, we should say actually though. Um, Whilst people focus on the Ackerland thing and him being in Bathory, he was actually only in Bathory for a, a year, year, 18 months. 18 months, yeah. Mm, so, yeah. And his film work, obviously, is uh, Spun, 
yeah. was probably the most celebrated yeah. piece that he's done. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he's got such a distinct, wild visual style, yeah, hasn't exactly. he? Which obviously people will know if they've seen his his music videos. But that very much transcends into his long-form narrative it does, yeah. work he, as well. He did um, the In Paris Rammstein concert film, which it I think is one of the best things I've ever seen. Mayhem, the Norwegian black metal legends. Um, obviously, this tells the story of mostly i think focusing on on euronymous yeah, uh, yeah. austin oyster oystein how do you say his fucking name no idea man no, I, I'm, 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 I'm just gonna call him euronymous but his name is oyster oyster isn't it yeah. See, well, like don't that. look at me i know i don't know why i'm looking at you the fucking <laughs> no fx fan oh, mate, you, <laughs> you know about that now, don't you? No. um uh, and the the account of the rise of uh, of Norwegian black metal and the um, the, the, the great rise. lengths that they went to to be badass motherfuckers. The great the great lengths they went to to be in the films uh, in the protagonists' um, language authentic. Yeah, and so, that, that is very much in quite in quotes. So much as we mentioned, very very differently from the two previous films we've spoken about, which seem to be films made heavily with the band's fingerprints all over them and heavily uh, adored by fans of the band quite the opposite in this case yeah. lords of chaos yeah. uh, seems to have been fairly well received critically relatively yeah yeah fairly well received and um despised by uh fans of the band yeah. and the scene and despised or maybe not even despise the right word, but the bands involved and the people involved who who were who were left want nothing to do with this film whatsoever. Yeah. Are not happy with it. Mm. And I can kind of understand why. Again, we don't really need to get too much into what Should was we true. lay out some of the details of the crimes and the events for people who might yeah. not be aware? So it kind of focuses on um the uh the church burning, uh, the spate of church burning that happened in, and the assault uh, that happened in Norway um, around the kind of early to mid nineties when mayhem and the black metal scene was building up. Um, obviously, Euronymous um, formed mayhem, formed his own label, had his own record shop. The, uh, the again, the infamous health Helvete uh, record shop where all the Norwegian protagonists and the big hitters in the Norwegian black metal scene would hang out. And yep. basically from from what you get in this film is um, all of them stirring each other up uh, into a frenzy, which yeah. which got to the point where it was Goad, churches being burned. Goading one another mm. to um, do even more heinous and... Uh, uh, horrendous crimes until it becomes uh tragic yeah i think we can talk about um dead as well though because that happens in the first yeah yeah it does so so, um the original singer of mayhem uh i don't know his real name but he went by the name of dead he was a very troubled character to say the least his uh, his his, um his name was pear engve olhin yeah and um, and this this all happens in the first oh, 15, 20 minutes. So I'm not yep. spoiling too much, really. But he um, it's it's first brutal, first brutal scene. very brutal. Yeah. First of all, he sends he, he sends an audition tape to the band with a crucified mouse in it, mm-hmm. um, a- alongside the tape, I should say. And uh, he um, cuts himself on stage, and and you see like the blood splatter all over the audience quite a lot, and quite in quite a well filmed scene, I thought. And uh-huh. then there was a 
pig's head which is thrown out into the audience and they all start munching on it yeah licking uh, it, licking it. Yeah, yeah yeah friday night um and um and then there is well he there's a scene where he commits suicide by mm. um he actually cut his both wrists both wrists neck. he then he then slit his own neck and then he shot himself uh with a shotgun yep in the head in the head the reason we're mentioning just this, to make sure th- 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 and and i suppose it's worth mentioning because this is the beginning of the film mm-hmm. and they goad one another on to do worse and worse and worse and worse yeah well nobody's so, nobody's goading him are they no he, not he is point. actually just mentally damaged and yes very unwell very so yeah. i watched it with steve and i yeah. knew nothing about any of the subject matter other right. than that shit was going to get real let's yeah, say yeah, yeah, yeah. and so i'm watching it with steve like a very might be the wrong choice of words but almost like an excited naive little child because yeah. i have no idea what's coming and i keep asking steve like did that just happen what's happened what's happening next like where's right. this going who's that and again like fascination is the wrong term because it is a very ultimately depressing and disappointing story yeah. and it really gr- does grim, show grim tale to um, say the least you know just the kind of the follies of youth in a very dark and, and troubling way and how mm. people with too much money on their hands and just the ego of men really or boys and how that gets really out of control but it is a very male thing isn't it it's a total testosterone fucking yeah dick shaking competition yeah that's what you said it's who getting your dick out and mine's bigger than yours i yeah. can go further than you but i found the film incredibly powerful mm. and incredibly moving in its own weird mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. and ultimately tragic mm-hmm. um and i thought it was a great piece of work yeah from, from somebody who knows nothing of the subject and so i think that's quite an interesting way to go into the film you know having no expectation no reference point mm-hmm. i got to just enjoy it as a pure piece of fic- fictitious art mm-hmm. if you will mm-hmm. so and i was blown away i'm because because this is the one that has had the most uh, in terms of people turning around and going this is a disgrace how you have uh shown these people um renfrey for you as someone who knows this story mm-hmm. admittedly uh not admittedly like a, a bit I'm yeah, least. yeah, I know the story. Yeah, don't yeah, know. of course. Good. I knew the story um, before. Yeah, of in. course. So, um, do you watch this and go, "Oh dear, it's historically this is the inaccuracies and the way they've been represented feels unfair"? Um, no, no, uh, because I thought it was focusing on a. It takes a far um, less broad view of events than um, you know the two films that we've just talked about previously, Bohemian Rhapsody and The Dirt. And it is, like Matt just said, really it is um, an exploration of how that um, male dick-swinging competition type thing can lead to total tragedy and horrific, horrific events. I think that is actually the crux of the film. And the fact, you know, if, if, if this was a fictional film and it came out um you would be like well those events are preposterous that wouldn't have led to that but the fact that it actually like this is one of those stories where it's like it's so unbelievable stranger than fiction fiction Mm. kind of thing it's like holy fuck that all like this i couldn't believe it could i when i was watching no because you you were you were turning to me and going because obviously i knew like knowing the, the, the the turn of events as i did yeah i knew when when you know when dead was in his yeah. flat and you saw you know the the um the, the the bed 
uh, the kind of the mattress and the wall looking very very similar to the front cover of the Mayhem uh, yes. live album that is that makes up the yes. Polaroid. I, I knew exactly yeah, what was so about I was like, to well, I know what's yeah. about to yeah. happen here. And as it kind of progressed, Matt was going, "This didn't happen, did it? Surely this didn't happen. This did." And I was like, well, "Fucking did, yeah." <laughs> It did. Um, yeah. There's a know. live album out to prove it. So the, um, we should say Euronymous uh, found Dead's body, and uh, which you see in the film as well. Which you see in the film, and, and basically took Polaroid, uh, took photos with with his dead body, and it yeah. came out as a live bootleg. I yeah. believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, which in '93, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Live in something or other. Mm, yeah, I can remember. But anyway, so it definitely did happen. Um, whether it's all about i mean yeah i think obviously factually again i guess it's like much a bit like the dirt and like um i think the dirt there's interesting parallels because the dirt is also the case of boys with too much money getting out of control Mm. uh theirs went a hollywood way which Mm. was cocaine heroin Mm. strippers and then ultimately ending tragedy with you know, vehicular manslaughter and mm-hmm. things like and spousal abuse and things like that. This is obviously in Scandinavia has a very different quality in the air, oh, in yeah. the culture. You know, there's a dark oppressiveness there because of the weather. Mm. And that it's basically the same idea, really, isn't it? Is these young guys get together with a dream and the dream becomes corrupted by the follies of youth. It's obviously taken a very yeah, yeah. different path, but that's just the cultural differences, I think, that manifests itself in that way. I wonder what Mayhem's dream was, though. I, I don't know what... I, I'm not I'm well, not disagreeing I, with you, you know, necessarily, but I don't know what their dream was. Well, I guess to create authentic, as they call well, it, I black people, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The kind of... The, the point, I think, of a lot of black metal, the kind of... The, the, satan, the, the reason they've taken on you know, Satanism and this kind of elitist idea of mm. of what, of being, you know, kind of pure Norwegian black metal. I think a lot of it does come from, and they touch on it on the film, you know, these churches were built over the top of our ancestry. Yes. You yeah, know, I yeah. think people do like to look at black metal and go, it's just anarchy. Yeah, and it's, it's a narco, and, mm. satanic, racist mm-hmm. um elite you know those homophobic things, homophobic yeah. and and there's obviously there is a lot of that and i'm not denying that those things don't exist within that scene no, th- this film explores it a little bit yeah yeah, yeah. and I, but that's one of the things that the that a lot of people i think within the scene have taken to being quite upset about is the fact yeah. that these people have been painted you know for my money when you <laughs> when you burn down churches and beat up people because they're gay yeah. That kind of and, makes and you Varg, an evil person, Varg doesn't Vikernes, it? Varg obviously, who... And we've not even spoken about Varg yet. So, obviously, no. Varg Vikernes, um is painted to begin with... Almost like a, a, a geeky, excitable mm-hmm. fanboy, in a, isn't in a, it? In a, in a way, in a sympathetic way, which, you know, even I felt a bit uncomfortable with. Mm, mm, I mm. felt a little bit uncomfortable to go in, are you kind of rationalising... Varg Vikernes. But were you uncomfortable with that because you knew what yeah, he ended up doing? Uh, yeah. yeah, of course. I think that's actually really a smart thing to I do. I do. I mean, you know, it. you shouldn't feel comfortable watching this film. No, no, exactly. And, yeah. and also, if you're going to explain, and if you're going to do a character study on a person... You have to do a character study yeah. of the person. Yeah. You can't just go, he was bad and he, he did the things that were bad, so That's he's bad. That's the thing. That's the thing. All, all people who have done hideous, hideous, you know, Charles Manson was a, um, 
human being at the end of the day he didn't he wasn't born evil you know and you do have to show um that journey as to how they got there and you know varg may well have been i i did i I didn't know i don't know if it's a fact that he was like looked up to mayhem before he was like in them or something i'm guessing it probably is i don't know well hitler's a great example because he obviously started out as an an (laughs) (laughs) no historically that it doesn't tie up the timelines Uh, he obviously started out as this very passionate art student Yes, and then became yes, disillusioned yes. and saw the success exactly. of, you know, the kind of Jewish elite. And then that started manifesting in him this blind hatred of an entire race of people. Yeah. And, but yeah. it came from that. He wasn't just born evil. Yeah. It's the same exactly. thing, right? It's exactly. like that change in a person has to come from something profound that then evilly manifests itself over time. Yeah, yeah. it's just it is com- uncomfortable to watch the genesis of that happening. But then, like I say, I think that's what this film is meant to do. Mm. Uh, you know, you know that if you watch the documentary um, "Until the Light Takes Us," th- this is actually one of the of everything I've said before regarding you know, like oh, if you watch a documentary, you watch "Until the Light Takes Us," and they interview all of the kind of main protagonists of Norwegian black metal. And it's a great film, mm. but it does just paint Varg as this fucking psychopath from beginning right. to end. Right. He was a weird guy. Da, 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 and they all go, oh, no, no, no. Well, you know, even the, even the kind of the ones that were involved in it, mm. um, you know, there's definitely, I think some historical inaccuracies within this. Um, Almost certainly. Within this film. And I think the way that Euronymous is painted as, you know, I created true Norwegian black metal. Mm. And that, I mean, mm. you could go, well, I mean, not, okay. Mm. Like mm. we don't. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. But, um, and there's no mention of a lot of the other people getting involved in the, you know, like there are members of Emperor yeah. who yeah. <laughs> have done some dodgy shit. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, you know, it's never, they're, but they're, they're not even mentioned, yeah. mentioned in the film. None of the other bands are mentioned in the film. But the I guy think... from Emperor is in the film as the guy who beats up the gay guy in the park though, right? Is that not? No. No? Is that um... not the drummer? Faust? Who's that? Faust. Yeah, no. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. But it's never kind of, you, you never get... Um, you never get uh, any sense of their musical contribution. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah you never get. Any, yeah, it's, it's not you know kind of. But they I never think... go. Oh, Emperor are here as well, and there's a scene. It if if there is kind of one thing that I was a bit like, that's ah, a bit of a shame. It never paints this as a scene. It paints this as Burzum and Mayhem. But but again, it's it's what you focus on. If you start making things too broad mm. you dilute no i understand well, that yeah, yeah, i understand yeah. that it's just it kind of it only like vaguely hinted at the idea of you know the the scenes in the record shop and stuff mm. and mm. there being a you know the kind of the the circle mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and you know the, the black any, circle, the black circle and any people who were invited down into the basement were in the circle and stuff um you know oh, that's cool but it never really hinted at much more of... Because the one thing I did find from the film that I thought, well, people will probably go, you know, what is... People who don't know anything about it might go, well, what is true Norwegian black metal if it's just like this one kid and then this other dude? Whereas there were obviously like loads of other bands involved in it. And there was loads of other bands doing pretty fucking horrible... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like morally reprehensible things in it as well. Whereas it just... It paint... Like, I get why you're right. It would have made it too broad, but... It was it was painting those two as the sole perpetrators of 
what happened in Norway. And it kind I, of it kind of made it feel like I think it would have been more interesting to go look at the influence we've had. The, you know those bands over there and Gorgoroth are fucking mad as well and do you know what I mean it would have meant that uh, and it, you know because there were church when that happened there were church burnings in England you mm-hmm. know we there was, there was that dude in uh, in Suffolk who tried to who, mm-hmm. who got arrested for mm-hmm. de- desecrating gravestones and it, so I think if it missed a trick in any way and it kind of touched on it a little bit at the end when it was when they were on the front cover of Kerrang mm-hmm. and there's Jason Arnott from Kerrang phoning them I think the kind of the build of the notoriety could have branched out a little more, could have at least acknowledged that there was, you know, that this was becoming very, very notorious on a larger scale. It could have done. I think the defence for it not doing that would be the crux of the film is the relationship between Euronymous and Varg um, or or Count Grishnak, as he um, refers himself as. So that would be that would be you know possible. Well, I don't want to put words in Jonas Hackland's mouth, but I, I, I imagine that would be you know the defense. Yeah, for that. no, I get it. Like I do get it, and I do get that that what the, the film was was going for that. I just mm-hmm. thought that it might have been uh, for people that are coming into it completely blind. Mm-hmm. Yep. It might have made it feel much more like. I was coming was. into it completely blind though, yeah. and I didn't feel like yeah, I want to know more about this se- this musical scene. I just thought I want to know more about the relationship between these two guys because that really is the crux yeah, of the story. Of mm. And that's what sucked me in. I didn't really care what was going on even with those two bands. You know, that, the scenes where they're practicing and jamming and stuff are almost inconsequential for me. I was just yeah. like, what is the nature of the relationship between these two? Like, yeah. what's at work here? That's the thing. I would argue, yeah. I would argue if you broaden it out. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to disagree with you because actually I would have loved to have seen that version of the film mm. as well. But if you broaden it out to bring in other bands, it becomes more documentary-like rather than trying yeah, to tell I mean, maybe that not story. Even, you know, I, only because I think... Okay, even if you don't even talk about the other bands, I think there could have been a way to have shown that this was... I just suppose they did, you know, they showed news footage from the bbc and stuff didn't they so yep. it was showing there's, there's yeah new, maybe there's news, maybe there's yeah. news footage which is taken yeah. from several yeah, different yeah, yeah, countries yeah, yeah. and stuff yeah. and i know i mean those two were obviously two people butting heads at the the forefront of something you know one of them has tried to start this thing has been inspired by this guy who you know because ultimately when mayhem how it paints it is mayhem start out and they're like yeah we want to make heavy metal music and then they get this guy who dead who is just a fucking lunatic who is a kind of a you know a, a self-mutilating lunatic but also Lu- a muse right yeah for mm-hmm. is it varg who's the character uh what euronymous is it euronymous yeah rory so tolkien who plays dead is a muse for him and yeah. you can see when he's gone later on down in the story without giving too much away you really see like that's a love story really between him and dead yeah. and he misses him and he grieves for yeah. him yeah. and when things really start to go bad is when he's no longer there to ground this person and inspire him and and there's elements i mean the interesting point we're talking about here is that for me even though i quite liked bohemian rhapsody in the dirt this was the only film that moved me in a way that i truly felt an emotion mm-hmm. granted it was complete like i'm very unsettled mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it really made me feel and it stirred up quite powerful and strong emotions in me and would you two say the same thing it's yes. the only film of the three that truly did that yes. in a successful well done way yeah yeah uh, for sure. like i was literally on the edge of my seat for yeah. almost the entire oh, yeah, i feel like so i've like... spent the last sort of 10 minutes like picking, only... picking holes nitpicking then... a yeah, little yeah. bit only because i know there might be people listening to this who are fans 
of the music before the film and I want to kind of air yeah. what I yeah, think yeah, yeah, yeah. in my mind why people would have a problem with it. I think the the performances are, I mean, I think, unfortunately, uh, it's not particularly um, uh, sort of, they're not. It's it, there's not. There's not a sensitive like this. Isn't I don't feel that this this film in any way. If you're someone who loves black, loves the Norwegian black metal. If you were these people, like yeah, it was the best time and this music's great. And I don't want to think about Euronymous like being upset about Dead killing himself. And I don't want to think about like him like maybe backing off a little bit. Like I don't want to think about that. Like they were fucking. They were doing the right thing. They were psychos. You know, they were. This is true Norwegian black metal, and there's no time for feeling. And da da da. Do you and, have listeners like that? I, I think no people, idea. No, I don't know. I don't know. But I think if... if, if I'm some, fucking not coming on again if you do. Well, look, I, I'm saying, all I'm saying is, I think the reason why a lot of people, um, a lot of the fans have gone, nah, fuck this film, is because they don't want to have, like, the, the, the whole, the, the irony of the fact that this is a really interesting character study between this one guy and the two polar like you know dead he only ever hurt himself he wasn't interested in mm. like mm. Hurting other people. burning churches and mm. stuff like that's how they play it and he was really he inspired almost seems by... unfazed by other humans didn't he yeah, yeah just yeah, in his yeah. own yeah. little yeah. absolute yeah. total outsider and then you have Varg Vikernes who starts as this quiet little or wannabe with a scorpions patch and ends up becoming like the most evil guy around like how he's taken that idea and like you say completely corrupted it yeah yeah as a film it works it absolutely i think it works brilliantly well i think sometimes uh, taking i think taking your point uh, sometimes fans don't want to see the um it's weird to say in this case the, the artist the artist yeah mm. I, I was i was going to say and i hope this, i don't mean this in a in a disparaging you know it might sound a bit weird but the uh, the artists that they put on a pedestal um, they don't want to see them being imperfect or bad. I, like, so, for example, uh, some kind of monster, the Metallica film. Yeah. I know a lot of Metallica fans who fucking hate that film because they want to see Metallica as the four people that they are on stage, godlike than life, godlike. Yeah. You know, they don't want to see them having a fucking hissy fit and slamming doors and stuff like that. But everybody's going, human, aren't they? Exactly. Everyone is. Everybody breathes, eats, shit, exactly. sleeps. This is obviously a different thing because you know, <laughs> throwing a hissy fit and doing some of the things that the characters do in this film are very, very 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 far apart but um some people some mayhem fans i presume probably don't want to focus on that stuff because it might spoil their enjoyment of the music well atilia kathiha i can never say that guy's name attila attila from mayhem so um or the former singer i think is he back in he's in and out of Mayhem. yeah he's in and out um he did an interview um and his stated his official opinion of the current mayhem members and its creators is a big fuck you furthermore we point out the film was based on a book and only focused on mayhem during the 90s not the whole black metal scene at the time um yeah uh Vikernes has harshly criticized the film as made up crap and objecting to him being portrayed by a jewish actor yeah, that's <laughs> there you go well that's because he's i'm no racist but i cannot believe that there's a hebrew guy in my role yeah. He, like, he also <laughs> called the depiction character murder. Well, look, we we, we can. Are we, they openly? Uh, do they admit that they have these views? 
I, Varg I, I, I was is about a fucking right wing loony nut job. I was about to say we can say that Varg, Varg, yeah, Varg um, is massively anti-Semitic, openly we, we, and proudly, openly so. and definitely openly. Um, we can say that because he's admitted as much on his YouTube. Yeah, he has a YouTube channel. Famously, the over, you know, the 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 chat around the kind of the scene, the whispers were Euronymous was going to have Varg killed. That's so it. he went to him first and killed him now varg has always maintained that he was going to be killed he yes. was going to be murdered and he killed euronymous in an act of self-defense yes the film pit paints it as somebody made an offhand flippant like euronymous makes an offhand flippant comment which feeds down the grapevine yeah. goes yeah. back and he goes and he kills him and he's like oh no please don't kill me now varg has always said while he was in the flat there was a big old ruckus and he killed him before he was mm. killed himself mm. uh, so you can if that's what he's saying you can see why he would consider yeah. it a yeah. kind of character yeah. murder um i'm not really gonna and i think you know a lot of the people who are being kind of pissy about it if they're the sort of people who are going yay varg well you know what i'm not that <laughs> yeah. upset by the idea <laughs> yeah, of them exactly. being upset actually there's a key thing with the film that i noticed that euronymous becomes rory colkin's character becomes very very um bitter and angry and he does make that pronouncement that he's going to kill Varg one day mm. and then basically it depicts him denouncing uh, black metal in a lot of ways well basically falling in love with this uh with this woman and he loses a lot of those um a lot of that bitterness and resentment and it's it's it cuts it, his hair and cuts his hair the ultimate insult <laughs> he cuts his hair but i actually thought I genuinely thought that was really sweet it, because it's basically sort of saying someone someone has something missing in their life and they try to take it out on other people. And then once he found this relationship with this person, he didn't want he you know, the way the film portrays it, he didn't want he didn't have any animosity towards Varg anymore. So when he when Varg comes in and um, murders him, uh, it's genuinely upsetting because you feel like you feel like Euronymous has has just just forgotten about all of all of the yeah. the past sort of beef that, that he had it's you that know. it's that he had one day till retirement thing yes exactly you know I mean? <laughs> yes. um in a <laughs> lethal weapon very old way. i was about to get my silver watch <laughs> yeah um but you know it's uh like for everything I've just said, you know, kind of trying to at least air the kind of opinions of people who have obviously been offended by yeah. this film. Yeah. Because I think it's worth at least pointing out that there have been people that have done that where there haven't been for the others. This is, a, this is like you say, a, a, it's taken a, that relationship. It's really, really expanding it. You feel like you know a lot about the characters. Like you don't feel like that about with the exception maybe of Freddie Mercury, in all mm -hmm. the, both the other two films mm -hmm. we talked about, you don't feel like you have any kind of connection or mm -hmm. you know anything about those characters. You feel like you do here, whether it's fictionalised or not. Mm -hmm. You know, those events did happen. Yep. And they did. And... To give the film credit as well, it does say at the beginning, what is it? Based on... This is my story, but, you know, true... It's based on true events, based on things, true events, things that happened, things that didn't happen, and then, oh, it, it words it in a very, very good way. But yeah. but the whole kind of, like, based on a true story thing, it, do, it doesn't ever explicitly go, all of this is accurate. Do yeah. you know what I mean? It even yeah, yeah. says it right at the beginning of the film. So to get pissy about that kind of thing is kind of stupid, really. Yeah. Mm. 
Um, because there Watch is. Watch a... out, mate! They'll be coming for you. Oh fuck them! Matt, um... Mics on crucifixes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I find it really interesting that the the subject that I knew the least about nothing was the film I enjoyed the most. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something telling in that is everything we're talking about. A lot of the time, when you attribute so much preconceived ideas and theories and expectations to a subject and then you see a film about it very often you can feel disappointment mm-hmm. um whereas just going into the lords of chaos film for me pure dry i was just moved and blown away by it as a film and i think there's a lot to be said for that mm. biopics are so hard to get right and to, to please everybody is a foolhardy task yeah with yeah. whatever the band yeah um and i was actually more invested in the characters in lords of chaos than I was in any of the characters in The Dirt or Bohemian Rhapsody, despite knowing the stories of Motley Crue yeah. and Queen to a much, much, much higher extent. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Anyone annoyed that they had um, American accents? Or kind of weirdly kind of... Yeah, that's that's definitely a talking point, isn't it? For me, it was obviously a choice, a commercial choice. Let's make yeah. this film appeal to a far broader audience. Mm-hmm. That's the sole reason. Um so for, it kind of, it was weird that they were like American characters, but then all the news was always British. Yeah, that seemed odd. Yeah, but other than that, again, I'm just I can suspend my disbelief for that. Yeah, I don't like um, getting too bogged down in those kind of things. Like that is something that I you really could see why the Norwegian members of the bands that were there and also fans would be annoyed because mm. you know it'd be like imagine a bunch of French actors playing Queen mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. us. Do you know what I mean? Like you would. Yeah be justified in feeling grievances about yeah. that but for me as somebody who is just you know kind of wanting to just see a film yeah i thought they all did a great job i thought uh kieran culkin was brilliant rory yeah. culkin is it rory is it mm-hmm. brilliant mm-hmm. yeah it's one of the culkins yeah the third best <laughs> they're all yeah. the same uh culkinist um i th- it didn't bother me particularly um i understand why it would bother people but the american accents didn't particularly bother me um, I watched it with my housemate and she did make a point. It bothered her a little bit more, but she did make a point that some of the actors are Norwegian. So for example, there's a, there's a almost comic. I mean, that's something we've not, um, there isn't much comedy in this film, but there are bits that mm. are actually quite funny. And there's actually a um, bit where Varg invites um, journalist a over. journalist over. Yeah, yeah. And the journalist, for example, is clearly a Norwegian actor. So yeah. you've got a Norwegian, like, yeah. who also, does that sound film, authentic. That film, I think for a lot of people who don't know about the the scene or aren't invested or interested in the scene at all, that guy is almost plays like the the kind of the uh, you know it, he, that is to me that guy was Jonas Ackland going I know what you're thinking yeah if you're yeah, yeah, just yeah. a normal dude coming into it you don't know anything about it because he walks out and him and the photographer are like what st- an idiot what a yeah, fucking yeah, idiot what a yeah. stupid fucking it's a really idiot. good scene actually I yeah. really like that scene mm. but um uh yeah and she pointed out that like when when there are actors who were clearly Norwegian it was a bit. It felt I often off find, though, and I hope this isn't uh, can you know misconstrued as racist. I often find with with, with, with with a lot of Scandinavian people that I've met, sometimes I can't place their accent. Sometimes they do sound a bit British, a bit American, because their English is so good. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like it's very rare that you go, "Oh wow, you're clearly 
Swedish. Yeah, they don't sound like mm. Swedish chef, do they? No. <laughs> no. Unless they are the So Swedish that for chef. me wasn't too much of like a mix of ingredients and elements because yeah. very often I yeah. find Scandinavian people's English is better than English people. Yeah, mm. it often is. Mm. I, I, I would also say I would much rather hear um, actors doing it in their own voice than actors attempting a shit accent. Yeah. Aussie, nine times Osborne. Yeah, Aussie Osborne. Osborne. Yeah, Aussie Osborne. Good day, guys. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, so nine Hello, times mate. out of ten, I'm totally fine with it and it didn't bother me at all. So Lords of Chaos. Um, Great. Um, uh, locations as well. It very much felt like you were in Scandinavia. Yeah. I'm sure. Like I, it, I imagine it was. I imagine it was all filmed there. Yeah, I would have thought so. Yeah, very, like yeah. amazing vistas. It looked like a Cigarose video in a lot of it. Yeah. Oh, we were to Cigarose. Cigarose. The a, music we should talk about. Yeah, so yeah, the bands didn't a, allow any of their original music in it, right? That was the... Yeah. Um, yes, but also... The bands who played it, like they... Did, I mean, you know, obviously the people they got involved were performing that music yeah. and fucking out. I mean, particularly the vocalist, but the guy doing Dead and, you know, the, the guy doing uh, doing Attila, like, fucking hell. Pretty fucking... It's good, isn't it? Like, the guy who did Attila got his mannerisms, mm-hmm. like, so mm-hmm. right. You mm-hmm. know, when you see someone a bit like, you know, this is, I think, as we come to the end of the biopic thing, one of the things I, I feel, and I think I touched on it a bit at the start, is that is difficult with these things is you want the you miss the actual artists. As great as Rami Malek was, you are not going to be Freddie Mercury Live Aid. You know, as great as, um, well, no one in the dirt, to be fair. But, <laughs> but like, you know, but that's the thing, you know, like as great as Angela Bassett was for in, in What's Love Got To Do With It, at the end, when they show the actual footage of Tina Turner and you go, that is great. You know, as great as, you know, I think the Jim Morrison that Val Kilmer does in the, in the Doors film, he is amazing in that. And there's a lot of these films where I think... Marianne Coulthard in, yeah, is Rose. so good. Yeah, mm, and there's a lot yes, of these films, yes. I think, with the problem with these biopics is you get one exceptional performance yeah, yeah. based at, like, the, I mean, the Oliver Stone's The Doors is a fucking pile of shite, but <laughs> Val Kilmer is incredible in it. Mm, um but you get you know the guy doing Attila was really really just got him fucking down to a T and it felt like you know just right and yeah you're right the music um, everything about it felt Scandinavian well I, felt, I I thought felt kind of true to the era and the the feel of, of what that was going for I think they took that problem and turned it into a really um, good point of the film in that a lot of the music that is um, used, there's a term for me. Mu- there's a term for music which is in the film, and there's a term for music which is um, which is music. Oh God, I should have- know this. Never yeah, mind. yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, a lot of the music that was um, playing over the film, so not playing in a scene, um, almost all of it was cigarose. Mm. And the juxtaposition, I thought, um, I talk about juxtaposition a lot, but it's very powerful. And I thought the juxtaposition between sometimes horrific things happening and John Z going, oh, people, or whatever, you know, oh, people is not in it. But, um, but you know, there are seven or eight Cigarose songs on the soundtrack and they're all used fucking brilliantly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I really, really, really like that. I mean, anything with Cigarose and I you tend to like. like it. Uh, but, you know, I thought, I thought, this is really going to annoy me, Renfrey. Oh, sorry, Do you ever right. get that when you? Yeah, <laughs> when you can't remember the, the diegetic and non-diegetic. Right. Okay. He's only really gone and done no, it. No, it's not. It's not even on the internet. I just it just came back to me. No, no. So, so diegetic is when. Diegetic is when it's so. If, if right now we had the radio on, yeah. in this kitchen, and yeah. it's on like in the background on the podcast, that's diegetic because right. it's organic, it's natural, it's real. We'd also if get. If we sued. then <laughs> layered some music 
underneath this in the edit that would be non-diegetic because it wasn't occurring within the actual scene so michael haneke the uh the the german auteur who made kind of famously made funny games mm. uh he only uses diegetic so he won't have like a score he only if and he so like, that's like the dogma approach yeah, yeah. so there'll only be music real lighting and, and yeah uh, if, if the characters listen to it but then ironically i don't know if it's ironic i don't know why we're suddenly talking about funny games there's a bit <laughs> in the car where they're listening to music and they switch it on and it's just like it's john zorn and it's like screamy mike yeah. Patton. yeah and it's like well they and they're kind of like singing along with it you go well they wouldn't be listening to that so you've you're full of shit mate um <laughs> anyway there's lots of chaos i'm glad we aired that Lords of Chaos. Um, that, that is niche. I mean, we're a niche podcast, but that is niche. Yeah. I, I know top, exactly. Mate. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Right at the beginning of the film. But that is niche. And he makes a big point hell. of going, oh, that's what I did. It's been bothering him for a long time, though, hasn't it? I'm, well, I'm not like that. That film is... Interesting film, Funny Games. Is it interesting mm. or is it just like... Mark Commode said it's like being told off for an hour for liking, for liking horror, films. horror films. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a horrible. I film. think it is an interesting film. I'm yeah, not no, saying you're it's right. A good it's film, an interesting but... film. Anyway, Lords of Chaos, eight out of ten. Eight out of ten eight for, for me. me. Yeah, solid eight. It's good. Easily the best of the three. Mm. Yes, fuck it. I'm going to go for an eight as well. Yeah, comfortably the best. Yeah. So there you go. It's out now. Uh, if you don't know anything about the, uh, well, Matt is proof positive. If you don't know anything about mm. black metal and the Norwegian black metal scene, then I think you might even enjoy it more than someone like myself who yep. and and Renfrey who did know the story and was interested. I mean, I've been really interested, very very interested to see this film for a long time. So yeah, I'm glad mm. that it was. Mm. Wasn't don't, what wa- I don't watch it with a parent or a partner though. Yeah, or a four-year-old child yeah <laughs> not that you ever would <laughs> anyway Sick let's do the thing. last film this is the only one which is as we said at the start a documentary rather than a sort of a, 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 a biopic. biopic um godfathers of hardcore uh tells the story kind of tells kind the of, story yeah. kind of but it is a i guess a character study again on um agnostic front sort of the story of Agnostic Front, particularly of Vinnie Stigma and Roger Miret, the guitarist and vocalist, uh, respectively, directed by Ian McFarlane, who, if you are a hardcore fan, you might know he um, formerly was a bassist of Blood for Blood. Um, he actually directed the video for In Due Time by Killswitch Engage, which received a Grammy nomination, yeah, I, I believe. And uh, he also directed Alive, the Meshuggah concert film. Oh, right. I didn't know that either. Thanks. Yeah. So he's got some pretty cool pedigree. But, you know, as, you know, being the, the former bassist in Blood for Blood, hardcore is a, is a thing, a big thing in his, his life, I think. And Before um, we go any further, I need to hear it. Yeah. It's not so bad, that hardcore music. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, now, the reason I kind of brought this in, um, this is on Showtime. I believe it's going to be getting a UK release I won't say where or how because I'm not sure I, I want to be very very clear but it will be I think it's getting a UK release it's on Showtime um, it is it's about 90 minutes it's um, a subject which I think most people listening who know me and the stuff that I like will know that it's pretty close to something which I am keen on <laughs> um, very I, approximate yeah I have watched a lot of documentaries about punk rock and about hardcore over the years from many many different sources me and matt were talking about punk the don letts documentary um previously which is great uh, american hardcore is another documentary which i like although i have to say just before we get right into it as a spoiler i've not seen a documentary about hardcore quite like this before me neither 
Or in, maybe even punk as a whole broad umbrella term. Yeah. In what sense? Um, I think the painting of a picture of two individuals, particularly mm-hmm. two incredibly disparate and very influential and very iconic individuals like Vinnie Stigma and Roger Moret, um, in this way, uh, is rare. It's rare to paint it. it. Also, it feels like a love letter to New York. Yeah, as New York was. It feels like a love letter to mainly mainly because of Vinny, but there are bits which feel like Soprano, like the episodes of the Soprano. There's there's Carmine. (laughs) Hey, Carmine, he's Thorn. He is. He he is like I I loved it, but he is like a caricature. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's amazing. And um, it was the most moving punk documentary I've ever seen. The most personal. Mm -hmm. Um, You expect the hardcore documentaries; they often are to be very macho and tough and there's a lot of like montage elements and there's a lot of like heavy musical you know the pace is quite fast this had a lot of somber key music it had a lot of the voiceover work which i turned to you at one point at the start and said oh this is a bit overused but actually as the film went on it brings you into this story which is basically the the friendship and the bromance between these two people and they're incredibly different as well incredibly different and incredibly as you learn like especially with roger vulnerable yeah. and sensitive and i was really like moved and blown away and surprised by how personal and delicate a film it was mm. i wasn't expecting it at all and in that sense i think if that's what you're saying yeah. right it's well, unlike like anything say, you've ever you know, seen on that topic yeah i mean i think american hardcore is a very very good documentary as a broad kind of uh, a much broader just rather than new york hardcore going to kind of the, talking about washington and having Ian mckay and henry rollins and you know hr from bad brains and that was is hr in it? or, or daryl from hr from bad brains is in it and those kind of characters but a lot of it is like you know oh then jack grisham came in and we fucking headbutted him and it was right you know those days were raging they were raging and you know th- there's a bit of this, a, a bit of that within bit, um, yeah. uh, Godfather Hardcore. A lot of you know that what you'd expect the early shows, the eighties footage. A lot of you know the kind of the the craziness of those early hardcore gigs. But then you get Vinny and Roger explaining them in so much more interesting ways than you know I've heard a lot of people explain it before. You know when you you, you hear the old, it's amazing to me to hear you know 1983-84 interviews with Vinny or Roger explaining what they believe Agnostic Front to be and then what 35 years later they're explaining it and they are still so clear about Mm. what they want their band to be Mm. and it's not often that you get two people that really that it feels that clear about you know what their band stands for and I thought that was amazing. So it felt like a love letter to the kind of the longevity of it's a it's a film about hardcore. brotherhood, isn't it? Really, yeah, mm-hmm. and brotherhood mm-hmm. and belonging and community. It's about that. It's about the kind of like the longevity of that, and also, you know, the, a love letter, like I said, to New York and how New York has changed. And Vinny, like you say, Vinny particularly, how much he clearly, you know, longs for the community. There's one point he said, "Yeah, you know, I used to be a." used to be a community here. And then the guy who goes, oh, what are you talking about? It used to, and, and it's some guy that he's known said, oh, we used to yeah, play, yeah, yeah. we used to play on this street. And we would put, you know, they, people would take bets on, you know, the Italian kids versus the, uh, the, the, the other kids from around the corner. And he's, you know, Vinny walks down the street and he knows everyone. And that, you know, that kind of, that community in New York, which their last album, if you've heard the last Agnostic Front album, 
Um, it's a fucking great record as well. Like it's really, really good. I hadn't listened to it for a little while and it made me go back and listen to it. Um, uh, and it's really, really good. The American Dream is Dead, I think it's called. And there's a song on it called um, Old New York, which is about that, which is a fucking brilliant song. And I, I mean, I interviewed it. It's 2015 it came out. I remember interviewing Roger at the time that it came out. And I asked him about that song and he said, you know, you know I don't recognise New York, but it's about like this thing that I love is kind of, I still love it, but it's changing. And that's really interesting. And that's not really been told properly in a documentary about hardcore. It's always, hey, remember CBGB's a good one. It, mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Oh, when we saw television down there and we saw, yeah. And then like sick of it all and Cro-Mags came along and ah, it all changed. It was, they were wild times and that's it. You don't get the kind of the pathos of, of what this film gives you about, you know, how that scene is still exists, but it's changed. It's been kind of co-opted. It's been, you know, manipulated, but the people involved at the epicenter of it are still the same people and they still have the same, level of passion and like you say it's about brotherhood this, this film's amazing it's, like, heart, it's fucking it's, amazing it's heart rent what's the word heartwarming i guess i was going to yeah. say heartbreaking but it's not but it's certainly highly emotive the scenes with roger's wife yeah when she's talking about what a special guy he is and how much he's contributed to the world and and she's in tears and you know even Vinny, you see start to well up when he's talking about roger and it's just a really fresh take on a subject which you would traditionally associate with bravado and nostalgia. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's certainly nostalgia there, but it's they don't get bogged down in any of the like lineup changes either. Mm -hmm. Like people crop up either in stock live footage or in interviews, but they're never too much focusing on the the, the revolving door of guests. So it's many. always just there's like so many with the there's these two. Oh, yeah, loads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. many. Like it would take up most of the film. Yeah. Sorry, go on. Just it's a story of friendship and it's a story of how a band can and last and you know, through the highs and lows of life they can just stay true to who they are and what they started out as. Um it's just a beautifully made film. Yeah. I really I was blown away. I thought it was, you could sort of you have an expectation with punk and hardcore documentaries. You sort and most of the time they do mm. they don't surprise. Do you know what yeah. I mean? They might be good, but you're like, I've seen this story before. And I, I I'd never seen a documentary like that before about this. Mm. Renfrey, hmm. quite quiet. I'll let you go. I really liked it. I'm, I'm, I'm not as blown away by it as you two. I don't think. I think I. I almost wanted to hold Steve's hand as we were watching <laughs> it. <in there. laughs> I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I love, I love the showing a relationship between two people who have remained, you know, who have remained bonded by this band for 35 years, who are so different. Yeah, who have been through so many different things. I think that, um, and that is a really lovely, sweet story. I almost wanted to see the film hardly ever shows you them together. And I thought it sort of missed a trick with that mm. because... Um, there's a bit with the raven, they're walking down the street and they're like, hey, the raven, they're the raven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he's a big strangler's fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's, there's bits and pieces, but I thought the relationship between the two, they talk about one another quite a lot and stuff like that. But like you say, they are so different. And yet they are agnostic front, basically. Yeah. It's them and a revolving cast of um, bassists and drummers. Yeah. Um, 
but I almost was like, I, I want to see these two together more and see how they interact more. Mm. And maybe it didn't show that footage because it just wasn't interesting. So maybe, and maybe they don't. Maybe and maybe, maybe they don't. And that's also quite, I think quite. what's so like refreshing about it is they're so different and there's never any point where they're like, oh, and then we fell out for a bit. Mm. Like, no, there's no, there's no. zero no, drama, no, is it? It's no. just we are the complete polar opposites, but we're brothers and we've always complimented each other mm -hmm. and we just get together we do the music we get it done and then we have these totally separate lives yeah. mm -hmm. and that's almost maybe the point as well is we maybe we're not best friends yeah, yeah we're yeah. actually nothing alike and we never hang out outside of this band yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but which we is, love each other and we're on this mission together and which is very common in a lot of bands surprise you know which a lot of people might not realize yeah. um but um and also yes in terms of how new york has changed I, what i found interesting about it is they were romanticizing new york in the in the 80s but then at the same time they're showing footage in the 80s of new york was a really difficult hard place full of crime yeah. in the 80s murders, it, it so. murders you know and, and and it shows footage of like news footage being like there's been 15 murders tonight in you know the yeah there's Green like village or whatever bodies yeah. being operated on in the yeah. street and, and then you've pounds got pounds of heroin and then and you've yeah. got Vinny being like it was an amazing time it was incredible <laughs> you know it's just like oh, weird okay the, the world needs people like him i think he yeah is. i think it's so great. We were pissing ourselves. Yeah. Weren't we? Oh, I yeah. think he he's captivating. He is brilliant. And yeah, he's, yeah, he's so, so funny. Great. There's a bit where I think both me and Matt prank, were in prank tears call. when he did the prank call. He yeah. pranked all yeah. the, I want a fucking tattoo. Give me a fucking tattoo. Yeah. I want Rocky on my back. <laughs> <laughs> it's so yeah, it's prank You don't need great. to know my name, Captain. <laughs> I want the tattoo. It's a fucking tattoo parlor. Like that you got to tattoo me or what? None of your fucking business. All this is. And then and he then goes, goes, "Is that Vinny? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've been talking shit about you." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, so great the reason why i think it's a good documentary and not a great documentary mm. is because um so confession uh i am neither i'm neither here nor there with the agnostic front i'm completely i'm aware of who they are i'm aware of their importance i'm aware yeah. that they are clearly important band and, and deserve to have a documentary like this about them blah 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 but i i'm i'm you know do i like them yeah they're fine <laughs> they're fine you know um and i felt that um if you are an invested agnostic front f fan this is obviously essential viewing yeah if you are I'm, not i am like you fairly oh. unfazed ah but go on. By okay. on i think if you're not i don't think you won't get any enjoyment out of this film i just think it, it will be a fairly decent music documentary uh, but when it came to laws of chaos for example i mean maybe maybe you are about to disagree with me which is fine obviously but when it came to laws of chaos you were like i know nothing about this and i still got immense amount of enjoyment out of it i feel like if you aren't a fan at all or aren't particularly interested in hardcore i think you need to either be be interested in agnostic front or hardcore i think if you're not interested in either of those things it will be fairly to you potentially mm. well here i come to counteract yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. because uh, i love and adore punk mm. but i've never been particularly into hardcore mm -hmm. uh, as a as a genre as a whole i'm interested in new york history and there's been mm -hmm. loads of great guests that i've had on my podcast from jesse malin 
mm-hmm. to Lou Collar from Sick of It All, to even the dude Vinny from Movie Life, to yeah. Clem from Blondie. I love a New York as a, uh, especially from like the sort of early seventies to the mid eighties as a period of creativity and art and danger and and you know the epicenter of culture. So I think that's maybe an element as to why I like it. Yeah. But hardcore and agnostic front to me, I'd go see them and enjoy them, but I wouldn't say I'm a fan. I love this film because it was, as I said, like a character study of two totally different guys and their lifelong friendship. And that, for me, was the real selling point and why I found it so enthralling and engaging. You said about the dirt earlier on that as someone who takes, listens to heavy music and metal and stuff and, and doesn't want people to go... Oh, oh, it's just this. Do you know what I mean? It's this stupid and it's not a stupid thing. As a fan of hardcore, I have obviously people come who don't know anything about it or think it's all like just shouting. Like stupid, like banging your head, like we hate everything. Like that's what they think it is. And so and you know, there are and that's why as much as I like American hardcore, there are people on American hardcore where you just go, oh, for God's sake, yeah, you yeah, are yeah, like yeah, living yeah. up to the worst kind of stereotype. So to get a documentary that never shies away from how fucking brutal New York is, how brutal those shows were, how, like you say, male-dominated and masculine and rough and tough and uh, and how, you know, and how fucking hard the people involved are. I mean, you know, when it's cut into the, to like Freddie Madball when he's got, He's seven and he's got a chest tattoo. Yeah. I couldn't believe that. Yeah. 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 You're like, fucking hell. Like, you know, yeah. they're not mucking around here. Like, yeah. this is yeah. as hard and as brutal uh, and as unforgiving a scene as, as as it's ever been made out to be. But then when you see two people, like for me, it's a fucking breath, it's a breath of fresh air to get a film that focuses on all the things that Matt said mm. about, mm. you know, how... Th- it's not just that, like you know people in hardcore have a different side two of the people who are in one of the most influential bands in the history of hardcore are completely different but are both very very like you say sensitive um very different do you know what's great as well is they don't people. have all the other bands who came after going they were the ogs they were the got that's what i thought the documentary was going to be every other new york hardcore band going they started it blah 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 and just a kind of uh, a rubbing off of how good it was a there was none of that. And that's yeah. why I loved it. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, this is a completely different film as to what I expected. Mm. Also as well, from like a socioeconomic point of view, it showed you that all these kids from broken homes with no future, not a chance in hell of a happy life found lifelong happiness and security <laughs> and family in hardcore music, yeah. in punk music. Yeah. And that can be quite a trite thing to say like punk rock saved my life. But this film is actually case in point mm. that yeah. it literally plucked these kids out of deprivation and total desperation and actually like gave them a life Mm. and they're not just stupid scumbags yes yeah yeah and it never felt trite which i think actually considering the story it tells it it so could have could have been Mm. and it doesn't um that's an enormously good point steve i can i have nothing to come back from. and also like my my final my final kind of point on it as well uh would be that I mean, I, you know, I, I, all the things I said, I, I love it. I love the subject matter anyway. Do you know what I mean? I was massively invested in mm, Agnostic mm, Front. I'm mm. massively invested in hardcore and the hardcore scene. I'm like you as well. I, you know, I'd always wanted to go to New York for years and years and years. I love all the bands and all the music and everything about New York. Um, and as well, it just, uh, it felt like to me, why I'm glad it's out now is because 
I don't think in five years' time you could make this film. Mm. Uh, maybe not. Five, no, no. I'm obviously I'm. I don't. It feels like this. We're getting to the point with a lot of these bands in this scene where if you don't make these things now, if you don't capture them now, if you don't get these opinions and these ideas, and if you don't showcase these people now, you might not ever be able to do that. So to me, it feels like a really pertinent and important time to actually be able to bring it back because, you know, it's been the last few weeks, you know, as we record, you know, just in the last few weeks, there's been Mark Hollis, and there's very different types of music, but there's been Mark Hollis, there's been Scott Walker, there's been Keith Flint, there's been people that... Roger from the beat. Roger from the beat, he just died a couple of days ago. You know, we're getting every day that passes the... And it's only going to continue that way. Yeah, and it will only continue. And the more and more this, this happens, the less and less these stories will be able to be told and will just be left with, you know, the well, cliches. The... Buzzcocks is another one. Like mm. my friend said to me, nobody's made a good Buzzcocks documentary. You've got the Clash, you've got the Pistols, you've got the Damned. And now now that can't really be made because Pete's gone. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, I'm glad. Not only do I think this documentary is great, I'm just grateful that it's been able to be made made, and you know once you watch it and you should all go and watch it once you watch it and when you see where roger is in his life at the moment you'll probably understand what more why uh i feel mortality is a theme yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely oh yeah so um yeah of the four for me i know this is very it's hard to compare to the other three but for me for them four this is my favourite one. Obviously, oh. I'd go nine for this one. Nine out of yeah, ten. Me too. Are oh, you going? You going higher than uh, Lords, Lords of, of Chaos. Chaos? I am. Yeah, just because I was so so moved and touched by it. Okay. It's like surprisingly so. I kind of knew Lords of Chaos was going to be a fun ride. It just had to be with that material. Although I knew nothing about it, I knew it was Nahali and Jonas Ackland. I just trusted him to create something exciting. I had zero expectation with this. I thought yeah. I've seen this story a hundred times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not really invested in hardcore as much as I am in kind of punk and new wave and that side of it. Mm. So I had zero expectation and I was moved to the point of almost tears. Like I said, I wanted to put my arm around Steve and just be like, I love you, buddy. (laughs) Well, that's why I I added it on. So, you know, we had, you know, you sort of said, oh, I want you to come and do the dirt. And we're yeah, cool. We used to do Lords of Chaos while we're doing it. We also decided to do Bohemian Rhapsody. I threw this one in because when I, after watching it. So at first I knew, you know, I knew it was coming out and I was aware of it. And I, I actually interviewed Ian, the, um, the director for Metal Hammer magazine. And that's why I was kind of heard of it. But we, but I added it on late because mm. having watched it, I just thought there's more worth what, you know, it's what it's definitely worth talking about more than just a, another documentary about punk, mm-hmm. you know, and oh, then yeah, the yeah. sex pistols happened and then, you know, hardcore, it was always oh, crazy. Like it was so much more than that. that I thought we really should talk about this and we should flag it up to people to, to, so that they go and watch it, mm. I think. And you know that so few other outlets will cover it in any sort of a way because yeah. they'll just go, here's another hardcore documentary. Blah, blah. Yeah, without watching it. So yeah, I would it. say to anyone, if you're invested or interested in hardcore music or not, go see it because it's just a touching, beautiful, inspiring tale. Mm. I definitely agree with that. I definitely agree if you are invested in it in some way. I, I still, whilst I agree with your point that I love the way that it is, um, it does represent hardcore music in a three-dimensional way rather than a two-dimensional way. I I question if someone not into hardcore will be interested enough to get that message out of the film. At Riot Act Podcast, tweet us and yeah. let us know. Yeah. But do watch it. Either I way. do think I, 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 I just to go yeah. out of ten as we have done. You, yeah. you're both saying nine. Nine. I'd, for me. I'd give this a seven. I think it's. Okay. I think it's very, very good. 
Mm. I think it's very good. All right. Well, there you go. Um, that was... Uh, that's a lot longer than I thought yeah, it was going to be. Yeah, it's very long, yeah. Anyway, still good though, good chat. Uh, thanks for coming on, Matt. My pleasure. Can I do a shameless, <laughs> cheeky self-promotion? Yeah, go on. Of course you can. So I've just announced a live Q&A uh, with myself and Keith Buckley from Every Time I Die. Ooh, we're going to get to that, aren't we? Yes, we are. My little guests, guests of honour. <laughs> my little yeah. guests. And, uh, <laughs> so I do a few of these. I'm doing one in May with Dom Jolly as well. Whether that'll be of as much interest to your listeners, I don't know. But the Dom Jolly one is on the 15th of May, which is a Wednesday at the O2 Islington Academy. Um, but the Keith Buckley one just announced this week, so tickets are fresh on sale. I imagine this one is going to go pretty quick um, just because the response to it has been pretty outrageously great and uh, I'm pleased to see that everybody is already getting excited and it's going to be basically me and Keith on stage live in front of a crowd again at the O2 Islington Academy chatting for an hour or so uh, me and him and then we'll open it up to the crowd do an audience Q&A for about an hour and then we'll set aside an hour at the end so Keith can meet everyone have pictures get stuff signed and all of that so it's like a nice intimate sit down affair evening with Keith Buckley and it is the Sunday after the band play 2000 Trees so they play 2000 Trees on a Saturday and yes. then Get down to London on the oh, pulling my headphones out. Get down to London on the Sunday after, and uh, come and see Keith and me in conversation live at the O2 Islington Academy. Mm. Nice. 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 But cheers for having me on. Nice. It's been a pleasure. You're very welcome. Thank you for coming back. No on, worries man. at all, mate. Um, we will be back next week with a normal show reviewing music and that. But this has been a lovely little. <laughs> just felt right because you know it's a big thing at the moment. It biopics. It felt like a lovely little thing to add on feels like something we should do on a semi-regular basis well hopefully there'll be you know if there is a when the old danzig movie comes out <laughs> uh, speaking of danzig we're about we're going to sign off now and matt you're going to be back for a riot ears review which you can go to patreon.com for as riot act podcast and give us some money and listen to me matt and renfrey chatting about the misfits yeah which doesn't which this particular album does not feature feature danzig in any yeah, way shape but, or form yeah. but you know still the best segue ever though you've got to give that segue around still very good though no, it's very thank good you. Very thank good. you we'll see you next time Bye-bye. bye bye